so I want to welcome everybody, and um, I want to introduce the rabbi at this point. Rabbi Mendel Kessen received smicha from Rav Moshe Feinstein. Rav Mendel was also very close to Rav Chaim Friedlanders itself and helped with the publication of his Sifrei Haram Chal. That would be the Green Collection. He's a PhD in psychology from Fordham University in New York and runs a private practice in Lakewood and in Jerusalem. Rabbi Kessen is an internationally known lecturer and educator that has spoken extensively throughout the world, including the United States, Europe, South Africa, breath, Canada and Israel, and many other places, on Hashkafa, learning methodology, Shmir Salashin, with the emphasis on the writings of the Ramchal, or Moshe Chaim Zato. I just want to take a quick break. Not this Wednesday, in Shem, following Wednesday, there'll be a Chabor in his house, and anybody who's interested, it's men only, anybody who's interested, please see me or the rabbi, and we'll give you um, more details. And Wednesday morning, it's 10.30. The Chobetz Chaim Heritage Foundation was started as a result of being inspired by one of Romendel's London's Lashon Harash Shurim. Romendel was also a featured speaker at one of the first Tisha B'Av video events. People still remember that lecture. It was distributed over 200,000 tapes, and that was back then. So who knows now? Rabbi Kessin is also one of the few teachers that lectures extensively on learning methodology of the Ramchal, which allows a person to significantly improve his understanding of Gemara, Mishnah, and Halacha, right now, and many other people here. The learning methodology advanced by Ramendel is based on several of Ramchal, Ramchal, Ramchal's Sfari and is an amazing tool to analyze, structure, and th- synthesize any <coughs> It's impossible to overstate the benefits of this efficient way of learning and remembering for our generation. Before I pass over the microphone, just to mention about tonight's title, and uh, apparently uh, the Rob has been in uh, many publications. Some of the things that he's uh, said has been pretty much on target, and uh, it's gained a lot of attention. People are really interested in hearing not only what the Rob has to say, but his insights from based on Chazal and uh, I guess keeping up with the news. And without any further ado, I'll pass the microphone over. Oh, I got two dedications, sorry. So tonight's shiur is in memory of Arlena Ariella Bat Abraham and for the Shloshim of Rabbi Yeshua Ben Aaron, who is a Torah scholar and spiritual leader of a group, Knesset Israel in San Francisco. So it should be Elias Neshama, to both of them, and the truth is to every other holy nation. Uh, I want to thank everybody for coming. You know, it's interesting. Some people have to wait for a eulogy on themselves after they're dead. I get to hear when I'm alive. (laughs) Um, What I'd like to speak tonight, uh, it's really, in many ways, a continuation. Uh, And and that is that one of the most fascinating things to see is what most people don't see is that there is an entire process going on, a redemptive process, which is happening, and of, it, to me, it's, not, it's all below the surface. And therefore, most people don't see it. 
Uh, I always think of the Rebbeinu as an incredible chess master. The average, the world famous chess masters, you know, the guys who are really uh, the top guys. The uh, the question is, how far in advance? Can, if you move a pawn, for instance, how far in advance can they see that? In terms of what kind of combinations or different possibilities can there be based on the moving of your pawn? And the answer to that, I once read, is they, they can see 15 moves. In other words, they can actually calculate 15 moves ahead, which is astounding. When you think about how many different possibilities, uh, combinations there are, it's incredible, you know? But uh, the Rabbanishalam is the greatest chess master of all. Because normally you move a pawn and, and that's it, you know? What significance will that have in terms of the game? But the Rabbanishalam can move a pawn 800 years before, you see. And, that, and we have to wait 800 years to see what that pawn does in today's time. And in many ways, uh, that's exactly what he does. It's astounding when you look at history based on the Torah. And when you look at the Gaula, the process itself, based on the Torah, you begin to realize that the Rasham is just, is an, it's an infinite, it's not even a good word. He's a chess master beyond comprehension how everything ultimately is only there to advance the process of the redemption. Because in the end, that's, that's all the Rebbeinah wants. You know, there's a, there's a whole medrash that says, a Yalkut, uh, that it says in the medrash that, you know, we think, well, God looks like he's taking his time, right? You know, so much time has passed. The Jews have gone so, to, through so many trials and tribulations. But the medrash says, the Yalkut, that the Rebbeinah is tzipo, he's metzapeh. God looks forward to the redemption. That's really what he wants. You know, uh, to understand that type of an emotion, imagine you have a 10-year-old kid, your kid, right? And you tell him, uh, well, you know, in three weeks uh, you have off, and guess what, I'm taking you to Disney World. You imagine the excitement that a child has. Think about the kid, the adults, right? The excitement a person has when he's about to go to a, a place that he can have such incredible enjoyment. Uh, in many ways, uh, that's really the Bernstein. The fact that we are moving toward a messianic process, a redemptive process, is the greatest joy to him. He doesn't want to continue what's happening now, because what happens now is really in many ways tragic. What he does want is the ultimate redemption and the ultimate reunification between God and the Jewish people. So that's really what, what's really happening, and therefore it's... Uh, <clears throat> very advantageous to be able to take a look at history and, uh, and to see exactly how it's moving forward. And that's really what I want to do tonight because uh, the last time I was here I talked about um, the, the Messianic process, the Guru process, it was a year ago. I gave this two-part series a year ago and it's, it's astounding what has happened in the year. I mean, it's hard to believe that in the year so much has happened uh, which is, in many ways is historic. What is happening today in America is historic. It's never happened before. Uh, in, all, in every which way, which I will mention and so on, you know. But uh, it, it's just an incredible, um, it's a, uh, what's called an event, He's, uh, event shattering. Every day something else is happening that you can't believe. <clears throat> uh, and so on, you know, I mean, just, uh, you know, in the last three weeks, four weeks, is it, you know? And then all of a sudden, uh, to go through some of the ideas, uh, Trump, uh, of course, declared that Jerusalem is the capital. 
And that never happened before. And what is the significance of that? Now, obviously, if, if, if Jerusalem is the capital, Yerushalayim is the capital, that means the land belongs to Jews. You can't have capital over a country that you don't own, right? So clearly the implication is that uh, Israel belongs to the Jews, you see. Then besides that, you know, the, uh, this happened a while back, in last May, where Trump visited the coastal. And not only visited the coastal with a yarmulke, okay, but he put a kvittle in. You know, a little note to the, you know, who's, who is he writing that kvittle to? If not the fact that he's writing it to the God of the Jews. Because that's what the question really is. <clears throat> then besides all that, you have the, the, the fact that he released Rubashkin, which stunned everybody. And of course, that was on Zoyz Hanukkah, uh, which is the last day of Hanukkah. Uh, and you also have uh, many other things. He defends Israel against the UN uh, with his ambassador, Nikki Haley, who's an incredible woman. You know, uh, and, uh, and, but it's more than just he defends Israel against the UN. He took away $285 million from the UN, which is unheard of, you see. And you know, so all these events are historic. They've never occurred before. And what we have to think about is what is, what is this all about? Uh, uh, besides the fact that he's trying to make America prosperous, which he is. I mean, the stock market is over 25000 which is unheard of and so on. The question, of course, is what does all this really mean? And how do we see it? as steps in the messianic process. <clears throat> and there, there are many other things. Uh, the fact that Saudi Arabia is now lining up behind Israel, which is unheard of. <coughs> it's, it's, uh, and then Iran seems to have tremendous problems, uh, whether they fall or not, but that's going to make a tremendous dent in Iran in terms of their sponsorship of terrorism, which I will mention. What does all this mean? And <clears throat> when you think about that, <clears throat> The answers to all of this really is in the Chumash. You have to go back to the Chumash because the Chumash is the model. It is the plan, the Toknit, of the entire creation. And what happened before uh, is really mirrors what has to happen now. And, you know, one could talk for many, many hours. I mean, I, I have stuff on the internet, uh, a couple of hundred churim on this stuff, you know, in terms of the, the Chumash and all that. But, <clears throat> But to look for the, the redemption model today, one really has to examine a certain portion of the Torah. And that's really what I want to go into. I have mentioned it before, but it's quite a while. And uh, it really needs a serious recap. Because that's the source, ultimately, of everything. <clears throat> what I want to go into is the whole concept of the relationship between Yaakov and Esau. You see, I mean, we know intuitively that there's something very important about that, but really, it, it foretells what happens to be in, in the end. And what we're witnessing is a, a living um, uh, play out of what was uh, foretold in that time. <clears throat> the Torah begins, or, or Pasha's told us begins, and and says that, you know, Rivka was having a lot of problems. She was giving birth to uh, twins, whatever, uh, and she was having a lot of problems. And she goes to, the, of course, the house of Shem Eva, uh, and they give her a prophecy, which, of course, is a communique from God, and he used Shem Eva to tell her. And the prophecy is very unusual. Uh, and it says, uh, that there are two nations within you. Tikalim means great nation, not just a little. That you have two children, twins, 
And two of them, these both will be great nations. Okay, Shnei Goyim And then it says that they will separate, which means that really they're going to go their own, uh, each one will go their own way. And then it says, what's the relationship between the separation? Is that they can never really be equal. When one is great, when one is great, the other will be, of course, um, uh, much inferior, and vice versa, and so on. They cannot be equal. And then it says, that the older one, who is Esau, will serve the younger. That's strange, because what do you mean? That should have been, that, that was the, the intent. So what do you mean, now that they separate, and they go their different paths, and one is good, and the other is evil, now it says, the older will serve the younger? And what is that supposed to mean? <clears throat> what what the, they were telling Rivka is a profound understanding of what the relationship between these two people are. When it says, there are two great nations with you. And Rashi brings down, who are they? Uh, they of course, is Antoninus. Marcus Aurelius Antoninus was a Roman Empire who was, who was, who was the uh, philosopher emperor. That's really what he was. He wrote the writings uh, of Marcus Aurelius. Anyway, him and then Rebbe. Marcus Aurelius was a tremendous friend of Rebbe, which I won't speak about a little later because that's very significant uh, in terms of the history of Christianity. You know, it uh, doesn't sound that way, but it is. Uh, in any case, <clears throat> Um, that these are two great nations, and they will have profound influence on the world. That's what means going bivitneich. Why? Because bivitneich. They are in your womb. That's why. You see, anything that comes out of you, because Rivka, of course, is one of the greatest of the immors. If it's coming out of you, they will have profound influence on the entire world. You see, what will their influence be? They're going to separate. Okay, and not only that, but they're going to be rivals, opponents of each other. But they'll still be tremendously, uh, uh, tremendously influential on the entire world, which of course is true. But in the end, it says Raviyavitzoya. So what's going to be the end of this? That the older one, Esau, will serve the younger. That's what it says. That means after all of this happens, guess what? The older will still serve the younger. The question is, what does that mean? If they're separating and they're both, it's a contest. Why will the older serve the younger? You see? <coughs> so there's a medrash uh, that says the following. It's an incredible medrash, but behind that medrash is a tremendous understanding of what this, what this means. And for, for, as, as I will get to it, for, today, for today's time, this is incredibly prophetic. It's really what it is. Uh, the medrash says the following. It says, Rav, the older, Yavoid will serve Soya, the younger, which means Esau will serve Yaakov. Because that's uh, obviously eventually what happened. <clears throat> but the member says in the Torah there's no punctuation. It says, Rabbi avoid so here the older will serve the younger. But the member says, if you look at the Torah, the word ya avoid, right, you could also read it as what's called a Kreenic sieve. There are many words in the Torah which is written one way, but you don't read it the way it's written, you see. So the member says, since there are no punctuations in the Torah, you could read Rav Ya'avoid Tzoyer, you could read Rav Ya'avoid Tzoyer, that the older will serve the younger, it could also be read that the older will oppress, enslave, from the word Evet, the younger. That's what the matter says. In other words, the Cree and Exiv, you read it, it could be read, it's written as if it was Ya'avoid, but you read it, you could read it Ya'avoid, or Ya'avoid, 
that medrash is profound. Why? Because it says that and the Shnei Goyim will always be, there will always be these two nations. And guess what? The concept of two nations, means they have to follow the program of Rivka and Yitzchak. What is the program? They must do the Tikkun, either one. They're both assigned Tikkun. Tikkun is rectification or correction. And the concept of Tikkun means that they have to bring God back. That's the whole objective of all creation, is for God to re-enter the world. Uh, so therefore, since they're both coming out of you, right, and you're Rivka, right, the great aim and so on, both must be involved in the Tikkun process. That's the concept of Vivid Nech. However, it's interesting, but the Medrash predicts that even if Esav uh, goes astray, which he did, and by the way, don't think that the, the prophecy of, of the, uh, uh, the uh, Shem Beheva took away the free will of Esav, because you could say, well, it's prophetic. So that means Esav had no choice, but that's wrong, because God has knowledge which does not interfere in free will, which is the old question. How could God, if God has foreknowledge of everything, then why doesn't it interfere with your free will? It doesn't, but I'm not going to get into why. But anyway, that prophecy was based on the knowledge of God, what would happen. In no way does it interfere with Esau's choice. He didn't have to be there. That's a very important concept to understand. But anyway, uh, so that's what the Medrash says. What does that mean? That both must be involved in the Tikkun, right? But Esau could do it one of two ways. So the first way Esau can do it is by assisting Yaakov to do the Tikkun, to bring God back into the world and to rectify the entire existence of, of all, all things, of man and the entire universe and so on. Yeah. So what it says, therefore, <clears throat> uh, so, so therefore Esau must do what Yaakov is doing. But he has a choice, unfortunately. His choice is, one, he could do it by assisting Yaakov, which is to do the tikkun, which means to do the mitzvahs, right? And one way, or he could do it not by assisting Yaakov, but by opposing Yaakov. But what is that supposed to mean? Because the tikkun can be done in one of two ways. Actually, in three ways. The, the, the first way that the tikkun could be done is mitzvahs. Is commandments. If you do the commandment, you are expressing a testimony that you believe God is supreme and you will follow his will. That's the deal with the mitzvahs. Okay. So if you do that, then your belief becomes a reality. It's a very important concept that when you utter a belief, okay, you can actually create a reality by the belief itself. I'm not going to get into that principle, but in any case, uh, so that's one way. But if a person doesn't do the mitzvahs, then God gave a second way to do the tikkun, which means to undo the testimony that what? That you think you're supreme and therefore you sin. So tshuva is the second way. If you repent, what repentance ultimately is, is an undoing of whatever defect you've made because you reverse your testimony. Tshuva is, I recognize that I'm not the supreme being, you are. And that's what tshuva ultimately is. It's a retraction of testimony. In any case, so if when you do that, then again you are, you are uttering the fact that you believe that God is supreme. But what happens if a person doesn't do that? Then what happens is, is a third way of tikkun, which is called yisurin, suffering. 
In other words, suffering isn't so much, it's not a punishment per se, but it is a rehabilitation. That's really what it is. And without getting into the whole concept of what, what, what it means, the principles and so on, that's what Yisurin is. It's a rehabilitative process where you can now undo what you did, even though you don't do tshuva. That's how great Yisurin is. So therefore, the idea is that Jews, of course, if they do mitzvahs, great. And if they repent, great. But what happens if they don't repent? Then what happens is God has provided a, a, a method of tikkun, which is called Yisurin, but somebody has to administer those Yisurin. Uh, so therefore, what that Medrash is saying basically is, look, Esau, you got one of two deals. One, you can assist Yaakov, and I'll talk about how, by doing what? By um, doing the mitzvahs and helping Yaakov do his job. Or you can oppress him and enslave him and make him suffer when he hasn't done the mitzvahs in tshuva. You can now administer what's called therapy in that sense by, by persecuting Yaakov. You see, so therefore, that itself becomes a third method of tikkun. That's what the Medrash says. It's either Yahweh or Yahweh. But even if it's Yahweh where he will persecute, that is still part of the tikkun process. Most people don't realize that. Asaph never left the tikkun process. He just switched gears, basically, and so on. <clears throat> so therefore, what comes out of this is that Yaakov and Asaph, since they are uh, part of the tikkun process, they are patriarchs. Esau is no less a patriarch than Yaakov. Again, which most people do not realize, and so on, you know. And each one had different, each one had a different, what's called tafkid, purpose. The purpose of Yaakov is called Yeshivi Holam, that's what it's in the Torah, it means to bring down holiness to the planet, to the earth. And that's brought about by learning Torah. The purpose of Esau, however, as an of, is to go into the field, which is the world, and remain righteous. And then when you do that, you also subdue the evil in the world. So you really have two concepts. One is called Hispashtis Kedusha, to bring down holiness by learning Torah and advancing Torah, spreading, the, spreading the, that idea. And the second way is to go into the world and to remain a tzaddik, righteous. And in that way, you, you, you um, uh, enormously diminish the power of evil while well, going into the whole thing, and so on. So these are the two processes. And that's why Yaakov and Esau were twins. Uh, because one, uh, in a certain sense, one is a, one, one's assignment, Yaakov's assignment, is to bring down Kedusha, and Esau's assignment is to subdue evil. Fia Surah, Tachas Kedusha, it's really what his job is. So as such, they are both patriarchs. The problem, of course, is, uh, uh, which is great, the problem, of course, is that Esau, at 15 years old, actually at 13, uh, and at 15 he became public, but at 13 he was private, you know, he decided that he's going to sin. Now remember one thing, Esau, really, his potential was awesome. In fact, it says that nobody, it says, which means that the youth, both youth grew up. That means, and Rashi says, you could not tell the difference between Yaakov and Esau. Could you believe this? You have a, you know, a 15-year-old kid until 15, and you cannot tell the difference between Yaakov and Esau. Oh, obviously, Esau had incredible capacity. They were both geniuses, Iluyim, right? And they both had tremendous spiritual potential. The problem, of course, is that you can always uh, decide to choose evil, and that's what Esau did, you see. But remember, Esau basically is still part of the Tikkun process. 
Now we jump ahead, and this is a very important idea to remember. Now we jump ahead, of course, where Yaakov fights the angel, the Malach. He fights with the famous one where it says, And a man fought with him the whole night before he was going to meet Esau. And Esau was, supposedly was coming to kill him with 400 guys. So he fights with the Malach. Who's the Malach? The Malach is the Sultan, right? He's the guy. He's the man. I should say, well, actually, he's the man because we have an Ishima and so on, you know. But what happens is that Esau, of course, uh, is that Yaakov fought with the Sultan and he subdued him, conquered him. And of course, what he exacted from the Sultan to release him, because the Sultan said, I gotta go, he, he said, okay, you need to bless me, okay. And of course, we don't find that he blessed him, but he did call his name Yisrael. And Yisrael means that you have, in, as far as you're concerned, you have done the Tikkun. That's a very important idea. You see, now, Yaakov is going to meet Esau. As far as Yaakov is concerned, it's incredibly dangerous. Because Esau is really about to kill him, he wants to kill him. But when he meets him, Esau doesn't kill him at all. Not only that, Esau says several things which are unusual. He says, one, is that that which is yours be yours, referring to the blessings that Yitzchak gave Yaakov, which should have gone to Esau. But Yitzchak, of course, stole it or whatever you want, whatever verb you want to use, and so on. In any case, so Asa was incredibly angry, and um, uh, over over that matter. Uh, but instead of saying, "Okay, I'm going to kill you," Asa calls Yaakov Ochi, my brother, right? You don't call a guy you want to kill my brother. The second thing Asa says, like I said, "Yilchoshelach," let that which is yours be yours, which means that Asa was muda. Asa retracted. His kaina against Yaakov, you see? And he said, the blessings belong to you. That's what he says to, to Yaakov, which is an incredible turnaround of events. That's what Esau did. Not only that, Esau kisses him. And there's an argument in terms of was that kiss legitimate or real or whatever, but according to Rabbi it was real. It was a real kiss and so on. In any case, now, Yaakov sees this, okay, and he should have realized something, which he didn't. And what God wanted, and I'm not gonna go through the whole story, is that Yaakov should give Dina, his daughter, to Esau in the Shidduch, you see? And Yaakov didn't give uh, Dina to Esau. Instead, he put her in a chest, and he hit her, you see? And Because he knew Esau was probably a good girl, and um, she put her in a chest to hide her, you know? So God therefore said to, to Yaakov, because you refuse to give Asa your daughter, right? As a result of that, she will be taken forcibly, Dina, by Shechem. So that's a whole scene where she was taken by Shechem, and then they had a daughter called Ostas, who was then taken to Egypt. Well, again, the whole story. Uh, but nobody understands that, which is incredible. Would you give your daughter to a mafia guy? Of course not. Why would anybody say that, you have, that Yaakov should have given Dina to Asa? Asa was a mafia. <coughs> That's impossible to think that he should have given Dina to Esau. So then what was the problem? What was the sin that Yaakov did? And this is a very important idea. <clears throat> because what Yaakov did when he fought the Malach, who, who, the Malach is the Sultan, but the Sultan is the guardian angel of Esau, Sarah Shal you see. He should have realized, Yaakov, that by subduing and, and, and being victorious over the Sultan, he diminished the power that the Sultan has, because the Sultan is bonded to Esau. 
That's what it means to have a guardian angel. When he, when he did that, he should have realized that he tremendously subdued and as a result of that diminished the hold that the Sultan has over Esau. That's what he should have realized. Number two, Esau is coming to kill him. Instead he, call, instead he kisses him. Number three, he calls him my brother. And number four, that he said, the brachas belong to you. So Yaakov should have realized that Esau could do tshuva. He's right at the threshold of tshuva. Because that's what it means. Now, who would have finished off Esau? Dina. And Dina was a very unusual girl. Because it says about Tetzay Dina. Dina went out to see the land. What does that mean? She went to see the styles or the fashions? No. Dina was a Kirov girl. She went out maybe to spread the word of God. That's what Dina does. You take a girl like that, right, and you marry her off to Esau, that's incredible. She will take Esau and make him religious. Back from Yahweh to Yahweh. That's what Dina could have done. And therefore Yaakov was held accountable why he didn't see that. In any case, which is astounding because what would have been the consequences? First of all, Esau uh, uh, and Dina would have had Osnas because Shem with Dina had Osnas. And who did Yosef HaTzadik marry? Yosef HaTzadik married Osnas. It comes out that Esau would have been the father-in-law of Yosef. That's amazing. His father-in-law would have been then, would have been uh, Esau. Not only that, because Esau would have returned to the fold, then all the history of Esau, the, the tremendous battles and the anti-Semitism would never exist. As we see, Rome came out of Esau. But if Esau had done tshuva, the whole history of the world would have changed. Not only that, he would have the power of this man, because he was a very powerful person, as I mentioned. He was the equal of Yaakov in potential. Right? That would have come back to help the Jews. Could you imagine if the Goyim, if Esau, uh, you know, uh, if you take all the, the, the tremendous assaults that the Goyim did, imagine all if all that assaults against the Jewish people were translated or transformed into assisting the Jews? He's astounding. And not only that, which is very important, Esau, Yaakov would have committed an incredible mitzvah. Because who was tremendously distraught about Esau turning away from Judaism? Yitzchak. Imagine if Yaakov would have brought Esau back into the fold. What kind of a mitzvah of kibbutz over aim that would have been for Yaakov to Yitzchak? Because he would have brought back the joy in Yitzchak's life because Yitzchak loved Esau. Can you imagine what that is to enable a father to again connect with his son? We cannot even imagine. And you should know one thing. Uh, that one of the great Titus complaints, which causes terrible suffering to the Jews, is the concept of Kibbut of Aim. Because Asa was tremendously distraught. Why? Because he wanted the blessings. Why? Because the blessings were material? It's not just material, no. Because Asa loved his father. He wanted a bracha from his father, you see. And that's incredible Kibbut of Aim. You know, to want a blessing from your father is an incredible respect that you have for your father. But he was denied that. So all of this is a complaint against Yaakov, of which the Jewish, Jewish people have suffered for thousands of years. In any case, so therefore we see, and the, and the, and the amazing that the Torah sums all of this up in one posuk, where it says, Vayoshev Esau, <coughs> and Esau returned, Be'esahi, at that time, the Darkoi, to his way, Seira, to Seir, because he lived in, in the area called Seir. 
It should have said in the Torah, and Esav returned at that time to Seir. What do you mean he returned at that time to his way, to his path, to Seir? That's a redundant word. Because what the Torah is saying, and Esav returned at that time, the darker to his path in evil, because Yaakov had refused to bring him back into the fold by giving Dina. In one word, the Torah sums up the entire event, the essential idea of that entire event, you see. And, and of course, that is also a complaint that Esav has, because Esav could say to Yaakov, hey, you could have brought me back. Why didn't you? All this haunts the Jews, you should know. And he was responsible for the tremendous kitrukim, the prosecutions against the Jews. But we see one thing which is very important, is that when Esav said to Yaakov, it's your blessings, that is a hidor. It's a vidui. It's an admission. It's yours. The spirituality is yours. I, I give it back to you. That means Esav removed his taina, his complaint against Yaakov or against the Jewish people. So very, and that's been haunting us. But at that time, he removed his complaint and he said, it's yours. All of this has incredible repercussions in the end of time. That's why this Pasha from Vayishlach and told us and so on, uh, it, it is so prominent in the Messianic era because it's Yaakov and Esau. It's the Jews, right? And whoever is Esau today. So the question, of course, is who's Esau today? And what's important to understand is Esau has been transformed different times. The first concept of Esau, of course, the Torah says Esau is Edom, that Esau is Edom. Edom is a nation, the Edomites, okay? And then the Edom, the Gemara says, Edom is Uroimi. Edom is Rome. Now, the question is Rome, but if Rome is Esau, remember, Esau is now in the mission of not assisting Yaakov the right way, but assisting Yaakov the wrong way. Well, it's the right way, but it's the wrong path and so on, by enslaving and oppressing Yaakov. So when Yaakov and his descendants, the Jewish people, sin, then as a result of the sin, they need suffering as an atonement, whatever. And Esau is only too glad to fill that position, you see. But in any case, what happened? So Rome is the, is the, uh, is the descendant, so to speak, of Esau. So you have Esau becomes Edom, Edom becomes Rome. Okay, Rome becomes Christianity. It's interesting that Yeshu, Yeshua, you know who that is, the founder of Christianity, is the same letters as Esau. If you have a, uh, the words, uh, Yeshua is really, and the Arri says that Yeshua, Yeshua or whatever, right, is a Gilgal of Esau. So what happened is, is that Christianity now takes over the job of Esau. And Christianity has done what it does best, right? Persecutes the Jews, unfortunately, tragically, and, and so on, you know. I'm not saying all Christians are like that, but certainly the leadership of Christianity were terribly anti-Semitic, just terribly what they, you know, uh, what they said about the Jews in the New Testament and so on, you know. Uh, but in this story, there's something very important. The problem was that the Jews were looking at exile. The Jews were losing it. The Romans were going to persecute them. They were there. And, and Rebbe Rabbeinu Kodesh realized that if they leave Israel, then the great Torah centers of Israel will be gone because they'll be out, you see. But Rebbe realized that you have to do something with the mission, with the oral law. Because if the Jews leave the great Torah learning centers, they will forget the oral law, you see. 
So Rebbe decided that he has to, what's called, he has to write the old law in a, in a way that they can take it with them, sort of like package it, in a way that they can take it, it can be more mobile, that they can take with them in whatever exile, because he realized that the next 2,000 years, okay, the way the Jews are going to bring the Tikkun is not through the mitzvahs only, but it's going to be through Yisurim. And that's really the whole concept of the last 2,000 years, is that we've been using the third Tikkun device, which is called Yisurim. But in order to do that, you need to have focus, mind, and not only that, there were many different um, compositions of the oral law, whether it be arguments and so on. So what, what Rebbe had to do is to organize, to invite in a major convention, if you want to call it the Mishnah convention, right? All the Gedoidim, all the Kanoim, and to get each one's Mishnah, because each one had their own compilation of the laws based on the, the transmission of the rabbis. So he had to gather them, you see? So what did the Rabbanishah do is an incredible thing, you know, is that Antoninus, for a certain time, lived in Tferia. Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, the Roman Empire, lived in Tferia. And what he did is Antoninus, which is, because when it says there are two great nations, so Rashi says, that was the greatest relationship they ever had, you see? Where Esau and Yaakov, right, were brothers, and they loved each other. And the Gemara Navajo talks about the relationship between Antoninus and Rebbe, right? What was the relationship? I mean, I just tell you one story, it's astounding. Where Rebbe didn't feel well, whatever, and he had to get onto his bed, and he couldn't do it. So Antoninus, the Roman emperor, I mean, you're talking about the, the master of the entire world, bent down and he said to Rebbe, use me as a stool, step on me in order for you to get in your bed. It's incredible. So Rebbe said, I'm, I, how can I use the emperor of the world as a footstool? So Antonina says, don't worry. Alavai, I should be your footstool in the Mikhum Haba. You know, you know I mean, it's an astounding story. What's the significance of the story? Because Antoninus loved Rebbe and he loved the Jews. It's incredible. So what he did is because he was a tremendous philo Jew, means loving Jews, there was a tremendous amount of peace at that time, you see, of the, for the Jewish people, you see. And he lived in approximately 180, 170 CE. So because there was a tremendous period of peace, what happened was is that Rebbe can convene all the Kanoim to write the Mishnah. So it comes out an incredible thing that the schus of the Mishnah was because of Antoninus. Because he had, had there been the same anti-Semitic stance against the Jews, he could never have done that. So because Antoninus loved Rebbe, and he enabled there to be a tremendous climate of, 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 of peace with the Jews, Rebbe was able to convene the Tanoim and create the Mishnah, which means that Antoninus is responsible for the existence and the preservation of the Torah itself. Amazing. And because of that, so therefore God, and now we understand the Rambam, where the Rambam says that the purpose of Christianity is to spread the Torah throughout the entire world. You believe this? It's the Rambam. Okay? Huh? How could that possibly be? <clears throat> and the idea to that is that's what Christianity does. Because Christianity specializes in missionary activity. You see, and the missionary activity of Christianity, besides spreading the New Testament, also spreads the Torah, the Bible, right? So it comes out that the mission of Christianity, which God uses them for, is to spread the Torah throughout the world. How does that add up, right? And the answer to that is because of Antoninus. 
Meter connected meter, measure for measure. Because you allow the Mishnah, preserve the Mishnah to be spread out to the entire world, I will allow the transfiguration of, Christ, of uh, Rome into, into um, uh, Christianity. I will give them the merit also of spreading Torah throughout the world. Of course, within the context of their religion. But still, it, they spread to all, if you, if you ever read the history of Christianity, there were missionaries all over the place. You know, Africa, Japan, and so on, you see? So it comes out that that was Antoninus allowed <coughs> allowed um, Aesop, aka also known as Edom, also known as Rome, also known as Christianity, to actually be part of the Tikkun process. But the original part, which is Rav Yavoitso here, not Yavoitso here, it's an astounding concept when you think about that, because Aesop has the job of either Yahweh to serve or Yahweh to oppress and to prepare. So because of what Antoninus did and allowed the preservation of the Mishnah throughout all the Jewish people, God gave the merit to Christianity, which is really part of the Tikkun of Esau. That's their role, you see, to again occur. It's really amazing when you think about that. And therefore that's a tremendous merit, that what Christianity did does spread the whole concept of the Bible you know, besides the New Testament, but they talk about, I mean, how does the world know about the Bible, really, you know? I mean, they know in the context of the patriarchs, the Mo Moses, as they call Moshe Rabbeinu, right? They know all the Navi and the prophets. They know all this stuff. How? And it's known all over the world. How? Because basically, because of the missionary activities of the, um, of the Christians. It's interesting. But what I'm trying to bring out is this is nothing more than a forerunner of Aesop going from Yahweh back to Yahweh. It's interesting. And only Aesop could do that because that's his really original task, you see. <clears throat> it's a very important idea. And you actually see the history of Aesop being flexible, going this way and going that way. So it's not all bad in that sense, you know. In any case, <clears throat> who is Christianity today? Well, you know, Rome, Rome became, uh, I should say, who is Aesop today? Well, we know it became Rome and so on, and then Christianity. And of course, Christianity is Western civilization. And I had mentioned this before, uh, that Aesop had three major characteristics. One is incredible gaiva, arrogance. <clears throat> That's what Aesop is, tremendously arrogant person. When he says, and Aesop despised the, the birthright and so on. What chutzpah, what arrogance. The second thing Aesop is, he's a fraud, he's an imposter. And we know that, he's Muhammad Bepet. He's, he deceives with his mouth. He deceived Yitzchak and so on. Aesop is also a pleasure seeker. Tremendous Baal And we know that uh, from the Torah and so on. Therefore, Western civilization, as I mentioned quite a while ago, that Western civilization, of course, has three different areas. The first area, the Gaiva of Aesop, which is so terrible, it can only last seven years, is Russia under communism. Because Russia is really Christian. The Russian Orthodox Church. But for 70 years, it became communist, which is complete arrogance. It's complete atheism. Uh, the second part of Asa, which is Muhammad Pepet, which is to deceive people, is Europe. Because Europe fundamentally is a fraud. Uh, you know, especially because Europe, especially in terms of Christianity, with Christianity preachers, you know, turn the other cheek. The problem is always your cheek that they turn, you see. Uh, and of course, it's fraudulent, it's an imposter. How do you do that? More Jews were killed in the name of Christianity than all wars combined. And this is a religion of peace? Anyway. And the third aspect of Asaph, of course, is pleasure, and that's the United States. 
The United States is an interesting country. They're not interested really. You know, I mean, you talk about theology and so on, but America is a materialistic, pleasure-loving country, you see? And that is called Tov Shev Therefore, Esav has an evil part of him, and Esav has a good part of him. See, America is what's called the Tov Shev And ultimately speaking, they are the ones that will return from Yahweh to Yahweh. And that's how we begin to understand a great deal of history, what is happening today. <clears throat> Take a look at the tshuva process. When a person does tshuva, there are three things that he has to do. The first thing he has to do is what's called vidui. He has to acknowledge that he sinned. Because if you don't acknowledge your sin, then what's the whole point? You can't repent on something you don't even acknowledge. So vidui is the acknowledgement, recognition part where I admit I sinned. Then after the vidui, right, which means I admit I sinned, you need to regret, it's called karata. You need to say, I'm sorry, I really regret what I did. Because if you don't regret, obviously the kid, there's no repentance. And the third thing is after you've regretted it, you have to make a what's called a resolution, not a New Year's resolution, because that's, that's broken with the month, but you have to make a res resolution never to repeat that again. Kabbalah al-Arsid. That is the real truth process. And with that understanding, we now enter really the, um, the 21st century. This is required of Esau. Esau, in order to go from Yahweh to Yahweh, must do tshuva, you see. And only the toiv of Esau will do tshuva, not the other part. The other parts are evil of Esau, because they have committed terrible, terrible sins and so on, you know. But America, which is really a land of tremendous of freedom, liberty, and, and so on, you know, uh, has to do, in, in that sense, that aspect of Esau has to do tshuva, you see. Now, God has his eye on America. It's not simple. I'll give you one example, which is very important. <clears throat> and by the way, that's one of the reasons why America is suffering so much. The fires in California, the immorality scandals, the hurricanes, the extreme weather. Like, what's going on down there, you know? And, and because God is trying to clean up America. Because in, in many ways, they have a very important mission. Uh, one of the ways he did that, which is interesting, is what's called a civil war. Why was there a civil war? Which is a terrible thing. I mean, part of America is fighting with itself, you know? And there was a real danger that America would split. And that's the end of it, like many countries, you know? There's a, there's a, uh, there's a civil unrest, civil war, and the whole country splits in half. <coughs> because America was Chayav Misa. Why? America was uh, subject to the death penalty. The whole America, why? Because of slavery. In the Torah, what says Lysignoif in the Ten Commandments? Lysignoif doesn't mean do not steal. No. It means don't kidnap. Do not steal a human life. That's what the Lysignoif, people make a mistake. The Lysignoif of the Ten Commandments means you don't kidnap. And the penalty for that is death. You steal some guy, you know, it's a death sentence and so on, you know. Uh, America was filled with slavery. It was incredible. But, so, I, I, so it's funny when they try to bring a proof that slavery is okay. So you know what they say? They say, well, the Bible condones slavery. That's absolute nonsense. Uh, the Bible's slavery, if you want to call that, okay, <clears throat> is where somebody has no money, so he goes over to the guy and says, listen, I will be your slave in order to, because I need money. Give me money for that. Uh, so it's voluntary. You can't kidnap a guy and make him a slave. It's nonsense. 
all the av avodim, the slaves of, of the Torah, it will be levied every when men. Are, a man is sold because he needs money or he's stolen, he can't pay back, so the bezin can, can sell him. It's, only, it's always basically voluntary, unless he can't pay back, then it's not. But it's always on a voluntary basis, a voluntary basis, basically, you see. What they did in America is they kidnapped. They went to Africa and kidnapped hundreds of thousands of people. That means the whole America, not only are the people who own the slaves, Chayv Misa, subject to the death penalty, because it's kidnapping, but all the rest of America that condones it is also a, a, a death penalty. So God, what he did is in order to clean up America, because America is a very important uh, uh, country for the entire world, because in many ways they have to be involved also in the redemption process, you see, so he cleaned them up. What happened? He created a civil war. They were killing each other. So in many ways, that's a cleanup idea in terms of America, you see. But in any case, uh, everything that happens is always part of the divine plan. Even though it doesn't look that way, you see, but, but it's always part of a divine plan for one reason, to bring the redemption, to assist the Jews, to bring the Mashiach. It's really what it's all about. In any case, that's, so once we understand that, we begin to understand what's a very important idea. The Torah says that Asa will do tshuva, ultimately. And like you mentioned, he only, it almost happened, it didn't, but it's got to happen again, you see. And all of a sudden, it, which is interesting, I'm skipping a lot, but, uh, but um, it's interesting that um, Donald Trump decides to run for the presidency. The reason why he did, although he once tried, but he, he left it go, is that there was a, uh, I forgot what it's called, where Washington makes a, uh, um, a roast. The White House Correspondents' Dinner. Yeah, that's it. The White House Correspondents' Dinner. And Obama got up and he roasted uh, Donald Trump. He just roasted him. He made fun of him, it was, his, you know, whatever. And at that meeting, I know historically, I once read an article about that. At that meeting, while Obama was doing this, and you know Donald Trump, he doesn't suffer, suffer any kind of abuse, let alone that public. And you know, you talk about all the all the um, important uh, people at that White House dinner and so on. You know, he said, you know, why can't I run for president? You know, and at that moment, apparently, he made up his mind to run for president. You see, and this was in 2011. You see. And he runs for president and he wins. Now, the, the, the victory of Donald Trump is an absolute miracle. Uh, it was impossible really for him to win. You have to be aware of that. It was impossible. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> I mean, just, just looking at it, everybody said it was impossible. Everybody hated the man, everybody, almost anyway, right? Uh, Obama hated him, Hillary certainly hated him, right? Republicans hate him. <clears throat> the liberals hate him, the Democrats hate him, you know, it's astounding, you know, uh, who, who likes this guy? Not only that, he's running against guys, senators, governors, he was running against 16 guys, each one was a heavyweight. How does a man like that with no experience politically, no military experience, you know, just a businessman, how does he win? Now, there are ways to explain it, but Trump is the figure that has to be retire America, and he has all the qualifications. One, he is an honest person. 
I'm not talking about, you know, yes, I, everybody has character flaws, and believe me, he's got his share of them, you know? But okay, everybody's got character flaws. But he has certain features about him that's very good. One, he's an honest guy. Two, he's a big Balchesa. There's a lot of stories about him that he really cares for man. For, for, there are many stories about that. You know, I mean, the famous one is where he brought in somebody from California because the child needed uh, um, some type of reform, uh, uh, remedy. <coughs> but in any case, but he's a, he's a, he's a big Balchesa. You know, I mean, he cares for people. Not only that, even though he does have a tendency, obviously, to have a certain superiority, but really, when he talks to you, talk to him, he'll talk to anybody. That's known. Uh, he'll talk to you, don't make, make a difference if it's a carpenter. He will talk to you as an equal, you know. But what he really has, besides being honest in that, he's an incredibly defiant person. He's defiant. So he will stand up to anybody, and he couldn't care less who you are. That's why God gave him $8 billion. That's his, uh, you know, because the guy was worth that money, you know, he didn't, he didn't need the presidency, really. <clears throat> because he has an incredible life without the presidency, you know. Where, I mean, he's a world-famous person, you know, and he's fabulously wealthy. I mean, it's a joke, you see. Uh, but it's interesting, somebody once said, it was, was, uh, he once had an interview with a woman rep reporter, so she said to him, well, now that you, uh, this was um, while he was running, so she said, well, if you win, then what are you going to do? Because then it's going to affect your business products because then you have to disassociate from them because it's a conflict of interest, you know? So what's going to happen to your money? So he said something unusual, but it, 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 what it immediately corroborated exactly what he has to do. He said, money? Who cares about the money? This is an incredible chance to help people, the American people, because they are being abused left and right by the establishment. That's what he's told you, you know? This is a God, I think he even would use the word God. This is a God-given opportunity, right, to help people, to benefit mankind, you see? What, what, what an answer to that, you see? Because in the end, that's really what he wants to do, you know? And, and therefore, he has the ability to defy, and believe me, to do what he's doing, you need to defy, and so on. So God put a person, actually, he made that person that way, so then Trump really can do the job. And therefore, as a result of that, what's his job? Well, he's Aesop, Edwin. As far as I'm concerned, he's probably Antoninus. He's probably a Gilgo of Antoninus, because a president of the United States is a Roman emperor. He's the equivalent to a Roman emperor. He's the most powerful man on earth, and so on. And he's an Antoninus um, um, resurrection. In that sense, he's doing exactly what Antoninus does, is to do what? To assist the Jews. His purpose is to assist the Jews, which is what Esau has to do. Rav that the older has to serve the younger. Not in an oppressive situation, but in a, to assist the Jews do their tikkun. And that's, so what God is doing an incredible thing. He is allowing Esau to return to do the tikkun before the Mashiach comes. So therefore Esau will have all the reward coming to a person who does that process of rectification uh, before the Mashiach comes, he will therefore have tremendous reward as a result. Because everybody's going to repent after the Mashiach comes because they know the jig's up. Uh, they know what's the truth. Uh, the trick is to do tshuva before the Mashiach comes and to get the credit. So therefore that's exactly uh, what, what his purpose is. That's the purpose in many ways. So therefore what, what, what Trump has to do, he has to be America. 
He has to purify America. And really, that's what he's doing. He has created, I mean, people don't look at that because they hate the guy so much. And I'll explain why. But what he is really doing is an astounding transformation. I mean, the, the economy, the, 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 the business economy, he's removed thousands of pages of regulations. It's incredible what he's doing, you know? And in terms of energy, it's like a whole slew. In one year, the man has done more for America than probably he's done in 100 years. In terms of what he's done, that's with all that's with all the incredible degradation and criticism. <clears throat> you see, you know, in many ways it's interesting. People hate him so much they don't realize what he's doing. He's changing the face of America. He's transforming it, where people now can have more money and therefore they're happier. And as we said, but it's more there's another reason why it's very important for America to become prosperous, <clears throat> because America Esav, who's Ochi, right, who's the brother of Yaakov. He has to, in many ways, raise the status of Jews throughout the entire world. That's part of the end. When the Jew comes from a status of being nobody, you see, and all of a sudden becomes a status almost as a world power. And the one who's going to put him in that position is Edwin, Esau, America. Because whoever America respects, guess what? Everybody lines up behind them. Because everybody wants to curry favor with America. And the more prosperous America becomes, the greater is their power to designate who is important and who is not important. It's all part of a process to elevate the status of the Jews. <clears throat> and that's really why Edom has to change and become very prosperous. It's for the Jewish people. So therefore, America becomes much greater in its ability right, to, to uh, influence the rest of the world which they are, they're the greatest nation on earth, and automatically, when they take over the position of trying to assist the Jews, you see, and that's what Trump is doing, and I'm gonna get into that, right? Then automatically, the whole statue of Israel, the status and statue, will rise enormously from the fact that Trump loves Jews, and he does. And it's very obvious the way he talks about them, and so on. I'm not saying everything he does is perfect, but you cannot. But the, the the amount that what he does to help the Jews is 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 historic. So therefore, this is Trump. Trump, in many ways, is a messiah of Edom. He's a messianic figure. A messiah is somebody who creates a paradigm shift in a in a place. He is so powerful, influential that he creates an incredible transformation. You see, and really, that's a messianic figure. Uh, there are many types of messiahs. The Jewish messiah, of course, is a whole different, uh, it's an entirely different uh, situation where the Mashiach himself brings down the Or Mashiach, which is the messianic light, which transforms our entire ability to see reality. Reality changes, or I should say reality is exposed, because we all live in a fog. And what he does is removes the fog, and then we see the whole concept of God as the supreme being, and everything emanates from him, and so on. Uh, but that's a messianic figure, and Trump is a messianic figure of Edom, of Esau, whatever, whatever you want to call it, because his job is to do two things, is to raise the statue of America, the second thing is, to, the main thing is to assist the Jews, and raising the statue of America assists the Jews, you see, because by America giving so much covet and honor to, uh, to Jews, their statue will rise among the nations. And believe me, it's happening now, and that's the purpose of it all. But his real, uh, uh, his real purpose 
is to go from Yahweh to Yahweh. That's really what it is. Asa has to be restored to what his original tikkun is, which is the relationship that Antoninus had with Rebbe. And that's exactly what's happening. Once you understand who, who, uh, who uh, Trump really is, and I believe me, he doesn't know who he is, you know, but you begin to understand what's happening. It's incredible, you know. I mean, the first thing which, uh, which I smiled at when it happened is there's a guy who goes to the Kaisal. Remember when he went to the Kaisal? And he left the Tanyo behind. He, of course he has to, because this is the Hidor of Esau to God. Forget about the Tanyo, because if Natal would have escorted him, then it would have been a political scene, you know? <clears throat> but he left him out, which itself is very interesting, because most people don't do that. You know, they'll go together with the Prime Minister and so on to a, uh, a heritage place, you know? He told him, hey, you stay back, because this was the moment that Edom, Esau, is going to say, you are God. And where's the God? At the Kaisal. Now, how do you know this? Maybe he did it out of respect to Judaism because it's uh, from Israel and so on. No, he takes a kvittel, puts it into the wall. You know what kvittel is, right? It's a note that you put in the wall with some type of request. To who? To God. Therefore, that's the beginning of his understanding of, of recognizing Israel. Esau admits, you are the supreme God. That's one. Then all of a sudden he comes out and says, Jerusalem is the capital. I mean, Abbas threw a fit. Because Abbas knows he's finished. Because he took, fundamentally, he took Jerusalem off the table for negotiations. Because he said, Jerusalem is yours. And I don't care the fact that, yeah, we still can negotiate. Some of Jerusalem, believe me, it means nothing. Once he admitted that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, that's the Yehil Choshaloch. What is Jerusalem? The holy city, right? It's like Esau saying to Yaakov, what? Yehilach Let the spirituality of Judaism, right? Let the spirit of the blessings, it's yours. When you say that Jerusalem is Jewish, yes, that itself is an incredible admission that the holy city of Jerusalem belongs to the Jews. That's the second thing he did. Then, of course, the implication of that is that Jerusalem is the capital, the capital of what? Obviously, Israel. That means Israel belongs to the Jews, by implication. So then he took that off the table. You know, the Arabs are screaming, occupied territory. What occupied territory? He just made Jerusalem the capital of their occupied territory? Of course it's nonsense. So therefore, this, this, the third admission is that Israel is yours. Historically, theologically, and so on, is yours. So that's the third admission. Then he comes and makes a Hanukkah party. And he, he did not invite any of the reformed. Why? Which is interesting. Because the reformed obviously have it's an incredible distortion of Judaism and so on, right? So he makes a Hanukkah party, and almost everybody there was Orthodox. It was just amazing to hear a speech, right? Why would a guy do that? Okay, Obama also made that, but that's just to curry favor with the Orthodox. Obama's motive is all votes, you know. But he, he really means it. What was he, what was he doing? What is Hanukkah about? Isn't it about the rededication of the Beis Hamikdash, right? So when you make a Hanukkah party, right, and you shear into the message of Hanukkah to the Jews, what he essentially is saying is the fourth door. The Beis HaMikdash is yours. The Holy Temple is yours because that's basically what Hanukkah is all about. You see? So look at what he's been murdered to, right? All these ideas, Beis HaMikdash, Jerusalem, Israel, God, you know, what's left? He's already done most of the admissions, right? And this is as the President of the United States. But there's one more admission 
that he has to have. You know what that admission is? Is that we butchered you for nothing for 2,000 years. I represent America, Christianity, right? For 2,000 years, and we slaughtered you. And that was wrong. Not only we slaughtered you, but we slaughtered you, right, with the official governing, government sanctions. You know, we did it with our government. How many times were government uh, were the creators of the anti-Semitism and so on, you know? So therefore, what he has to do is murder that we wronged you. And where was the admission? He freed Rubashkin. Well, you ever notice something which is very interesting? <clears throat> when Rubashkin was freed, everybody went crazy. All, Jews from all over the world, spontaneous dancing. Why? You know, okay, the guy gets out of prison, his family's thankful, remote family's thankful, his community's thankful, but this was universal. You see, why? And the idea to that is because, it's like the Chazal say, If the Jews are not themselves prophets, they are the descendants of prophets, and therefore a Jew intuitively connects with prophecy. He knows spirituality. That's what a Jew has. And that was, they used that for certain halachas, where they knew what to do, even though the rabbis forgot what to do in terms of the Korban Pesach and so on. Any case, <clears throat> so therefore when he freed Rubashkin, what he was saying is that our justice system put you into prison, and it was wrong. Now I'm not commenting on what the charges were, but the trial was illegal because she should have recused herself. So I'm not commenting on the actual charge. I'm not doing that. But this court could never have made that charge because this court was a travesty of justice because she would, this uh, woman worked together with the uh, prosecutor and so on. She should have recused herself. So whatever judgment came out of the court is illegal because it is a travesty of justice. How could you do this to a guy? And so on. That's why they were saying we have to have a retrial, but of course they never did. This is the Department of Justice. It has committed, but the typical, the concept of what they did to Rebaskin is what they did to Jews for 2,000 years. That's what they've always been doing. They've been using their government agencies, right, as a cover-up to put Jews in jail or to kill them outright, you see. And that's exactly what happened to Rebaskin. So when Rebaskin was freed, everybody's, the Jewish soul knew that it wasn't just Rubashkin that was freed. It was the, <coughs> it was the admission of Esau saying, we wronged you for thousands of years, and therefore everybody danced spontaneously. What I'm saying is the whole matter was spiritual. We think it's not. We think because everybody said Rubashkin was free. No, it's much deeper to where every Jew felt in himself that he was free, and that Esau, Edom, in the form of Donald Trump, and he represents Christianity, right? Everybody knew that they were the ones that he was talking to, not just Rubashkin, you see. Next thing we have is what? All of a sudden, who is the UN really? Well, we know in the end of time, Yechezkel, right? He says that in Lamed Ches, chapter 38, there's gonna be a massive war between Goyk from the land of Mogoyk against the Jewish people, specifically about Jerusalem. Who is Goyk of Mogoyk? Right? Where do we see a combination of the entire world? And the answer to that is the UN. The United Nations is going and more going. Why? Because it's the world body. You see, according to the Torah, there's only 70 root nations. And even though there's 193 nations in the UN, really there are only 70, except there are several nations that can belong to one root. 
you see. And the UN is the world body, and the whole UN, which is incredible, you know, it's hard to believe, you can't even make this stuff up, you know. When the UN says that Jerusalem is the Arabs, or it's occupied territory, or heaven is occupied territory, you know, it's astounding, how stupid can you be, why? In the New Testament itself, that Yeshu turned over the money changes in Jerusalem, and it happened in the temple. It says that in the New Testament, right, of Christianity. <laughs> I mean, you have to laugh at this, it's psychotic. Right? Even in the Bible it says that Jerusalem has a temple and it was the Jews. Because they had their guy, you know, interacting with, with, the, with, the, with the Jews. It talks about the coming God or whatever and so on so forth. It's all Jewish. So how could a world body make that kind of a statement? That Jerusalem is occupied, right? Israel is occupied. Heaven or Shechem is occupied. What is wrong with these people? Because that's going to Moga. In the end of time, the major uh, uh, disagreement will be over Jerusalem, and that's exactly what they did. In fact, the numerical value of going Moga is 70. That is the numerical value. And therefore, what did Trump do? Remember, his job is to go from Yahweh to Yahweh, right? His job is now the Jews. I got to help the Jews. You see, intuitively, he realizes that. So what does he do? He gets his ambassador, Nikki Haley, to confront the UN. That's incredible. You know, she's an incredible woman, this woman. You know, she should be given the Nobel Prize for peace. Because what she's doing is the only way to make peace. She is honest, you see, and she condemns the UN and the Security Council over and over again. And not only that, but whoever heard of this, a president should take away $285 million from the United Nations? And he says, we're dropping out of the UNRWA? It's incredible, you know, because his job is to protect the Jews. That's part of Asa's job, to assist the Jews, to protect the Jews, you see. And the main protection that he, of course, you need is against Goyim and Mogoy. So that's really what's happening in terms of that area. <coughs> what we see is that there's a constant attempt to help the Jews. The next big thing that's going to come out, of course, is the peace plan. But that peace plan is incredible, you see. Because what does Abbas do? Well, I'm not going to work with America because they're, they're what? They're biased, right? What do you mean? Even he knows. Without America, nothing is going to happen. Because he knows that he's hoping that only America can pressure the Jews uh, to make, you know, to make uh, what he called uh, the concessions to the Arabs. He obviously knows, yet he is now, Trump has created a situation where Abbas cannot make peace, you see, which is tremendous, which is great, you see, and therefore what we see is the next <coughs> very important idea. <coughs> now we have to focus not on Edom, because the transformation of Edom, right, to be the brother of Jews and to help in every which way, is now changing to another nation called Ishmael. Uh, but what's very important before I leave Edom is that when, when Trump made Jerusalem the capital, what that means is that many nations are now going to move their embassy to Jerusalem. That's number one. I don't care what they say, but ultimately almost all of them will move because America is the sale of the world. It's the greatest power. But more than that, by Trump recognizing Israel and being so good to Israel, right, what he is doing is he's raising the stature of Jews and Israel throughout the entire world. Because everybody thinks, you know, when America treats you, you know, in, in, in a, an incredible way, a superior way, then everybody takes note. Why? Because everybody wants to curry favor with America. 
Because as America gets more prosperous, they're going to want to deal economically with America. So what, what Trump is really doing, really, is he's raising the stature of Israel. <clears throat> What's been happening with Israel? It's incredible. <clears throat> you know, Israel used to be a nobody, a pariah among the nations. But in the last 15, 20 years, Israel is a world leader in so many different ways. You know, whether it be medicine, cybersecurity, agriculture, water conservation, there are so many ways that Israel, why? Because this is all being built, ultimately, for the Jews to return to Eretz Israel. And by Trump recognizing Israel, that's a major, uh, major factor in the world recognizing Israel and realizing that Israel, 8 million people, could you imagine that? Israel, the, pop the, the Jewish population is what, 40 million Jews? That is less than one quarter of 1% of the world's population, you see. But the Jews have a status which is beyond, way beyond uh, their um, reality. That's incredible. Every day, you know, you pick up a newspaper every day, it's always about something happening in Israel and so on. It's like, you never can get the Jews out of the paper. They're always there. Why? Because the whole world ultimately revolves around Israel. And Trump's recognition of Israel is going to raise the stature among the nations of the world of the Jewish people. That's what happens, you see. <clears throat> now, besides him doing that, there's another person, another nation that has to do tshuva, and that's Yishmael. <clears throat> Yishmael is a very interesting person. He was in Russia, but then he did tshuva in the end. Chazal say, because he allowed Yitzchak to be buried, and also the Torah uses the expression by Yitzchak, and he expired, and that expression is used by a tzaddik. Uh, so we know that Yishmael was both. At the beginning, he was a Russia, trying to kill Yitzhak, actually. But in the end, he did tshuva. Therefore, that's also what will be with Yishmael. In the end, he will do tshuva. But at the same, uh, he will do tshuva, which is very important. And the Chidot says something very interesting. <clears throat> Who was Yishmael? Do you know that Yishmael was part of the Tikkun process? The Chidot says that Yishmael had 12 tribes. Why? Just like Yaakov had 12 tribes. You see, that Yishmael was actually part of the Tikkun process. He had his own mission. Uh, so you have, besides Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, you have Yishmuel, and then you have Esau, you see. Uh, so therefore, if they're part of the Tikkun process, and he did tshuva, then he also returned in the end of time to do tshuva and to side with Israel, you see. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. <clears throat> it says in the end of Chayesora, there are play kol echov nafol. It says that Yishmael will fall, that uh, uh, when, when the Arab, when Yishmael, while the Arabs will fall, so the Balaturim says, the next parsha has told us, and it says, Ela told us, Yitzchak, when, do, when does the Mashiach come? When the Arabs, when Yishmael falls. And falling means two things. One is that they become failed states, and since 2011, they become failed states. Think about that. Libya is finished. Egypt has tremendous problems, not only because of ISIS, economically, you see. Lebanon is finished. Syria is finished. Afghanistan, it's a bunch of tribes killing each other, right? Uh, Yemen is finished. Just take a look at this, right? Iraq is finished. They're becoming a satellite of Iran, it's all right. Uh, it's like one nation, Arab nation after the other, is collapsing. They're basically failed states, you see. Uh, so therefore, that's the first in the field. That's one of the greatest proofs that the Mashiach is right around the corner. As the Balaturim said, 
that when Yeshmuel falls, that's when the Mashiach arrives, you see. And they are failing one after the other. But falling also is a second concept. It's not just economically and politically they've failed, but also their, their ideology. <clears throat> Ultimately, they'll do tshuva and they'll side with the Jewish people. And the first step of that is to remove the anti-Semitism. Now, do you know what's happened with Saudi Arabia? Saudi Arabia is incredible. Mohammed bin Salman, okay, he's very worried. Why? Because he sees that Saudi Arabia is going to collapse. Why is that? Because of Iran. Iran is threatening the whole region, which we know. And therefore, he's worried. Why? Because it, it's not, first of all, because many of the Sunnis are joining Iran. Saudi Arabia is Sunni, yet many of the Sunnis, like Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and so on, they're Sunni, and they're joining with Iran. That's number one. So not only does he have to contend with Shiites, which is Iran, he's got to contend with Sunnis. Not only that, what Iran wants to do, of course, there are many things, but what they want to do, of course, besides destroy Israel, because they want to dominate, of course, the entire Middle East. That's what Iran wants to do. So it's not a big deal to think that Iran can easily make a deal with one of the royal Saudis. There's about thousands of, I don't know if you know how, how big that family is. They can easily make a deal with one of them and say, listen, we want you to overthrow Mohammed bin Salman, right? And you will become our puppet. That's one of the things he's worried about, you see? So he realizes the handwriting is on, is on the wall for Saudi Arabia. But besides that, oil uh, is headed for an end, basically. Why? But take a look. Israel has one of the greatest gas reserves Right? America is now the greatest oil producer because of fracking and so on, you know. Now the cars they're making, right, cars are becoming what? They have electric cars, and they predict in 10, 15 years, 50% of the automobiles will be electric, and not only that, they'll be driverless. You don't even have to sit behind that. And also, they're coming out with a hydrogen fuel car. I mean, that's the beginning of the end of the domination of oil. Wait a minute. Oil is what Saudi Arabia lives on. So they realize they have to transform or they're finished. They'll never make it to the 21st century because of the economic reasons, see, and Iran. So guess what? Because of that, Iran, or rather Saudi Arabia, now realizes we need to get behind Israel because Israel is the only nation that can stand up to Iran and America. So uh, Mohammed bin Salman, I don't know if you know that, but he, in October he had a private meeting. He went to Israel, near Saudi Arabia. He went to Israel to discuss things, obviously. We know what that is, because he's, he's already, he's, what he's probably going to do is come out publicly and say, we are going to ally ourselves with Israel and the United States against Iran. Uh, but that's unheard of. Saudi Arabia is the quintessential Ishmael Arabs, you see. Now, one of the interesting ideas is this, is that all of a sudden, which we expect, when somebody wants to take over, what does he do? He kills everybody else. So, of course, Mohammed bin Salman, he made a purge just uh, two, two months ago, where he arrested the big guys in the royal family, which is incredible. Okay, we understand that because he wants to consolidate his power. Uh, but why is he arresting the Wahhabis? The Wahhabism is a, is a theological standpoint of radical uh, Islam. Uh, it's radical Islam, jihadist Islam. Yet he's arresting these guys. That, that's unheard of. You see, and not only that, he's putting in the place of the, the clerics of Wahhabism, he's putting in place clerics who are friendly to Israel and who allow, you know, who allow that um, uh, women to, nice women drive. This guy's modernizing, which is unheard of. 
You see? And the idea to that, most people don't see that, but that's tshuva. Where Yishmuel is now going to arrest their own ideology, which is Wahhabism, and is now actively thinking of joining with Israel itself. That is the beginning of tshuva of Yishmuel, which is unheard of. You see, because Saudi Arabia is the essential jihadist Islam. And for them, for them to take a back step <coughs> is beyond belief. And in many ways, that's really the end. <clears throat> we have this going on. Uh, where Yishmuel is now doing tshuva. So we have two things happening. One is Esau is doing tshuva through Trump. Then you have another one doing tshuva through this guy, Mohammed bin Salman. Still trying to think who will do well, yeah. I'm going to get to Am Yisrael, but the first thing before, when you have a messianic era, so you have to remember, you have to remove all these incredible anti-Semitic nations, and that is happening, and that happens first before the Mashiach comes, because that has to be a hachana, that has to be a preparation for the entrance of Mashiach. Now, <clears throat> what happens now in that sense? What happens is very interesting. The last one to go is the era of Rav. The era of Rav is, is Jews who are against Judaism, not Jews, but they, they want to replace the religion of Judaism with culture, with the land of Israel, and so on. It's an anti-Torah stance, not an anti-Jewish stance, but anti-Torah. They want to replace Judaism with what? With culture, cuisine, you feel the fish, right? Matzah bride, whatever your favorite food is, right? Shalom, and so on. That's what they want to replace Judaism with and away with the Torah. <clears throat> the essential concept of an Erevrah is not a person, he's an Amaretz, it's a leader that wants to destroy the uniqueness of Jews, the bond that connects God to the Jews, which of course is the Torah. That's the essence of an Erevrah. <clears throat> and the next ones to go are the Erevrah, and they're the last. The Erevrah <clears throat> is a terrible enemy of Judaism, of the religion itself, and that must go in order for anybody to turn the Jews around. And that's next on the stage, which is interesting to see because there's a lot of different interesting ideas about what's happening. But in any case, uh, there's many aspects of the era of Rav, which I've said many times, uh, reform, conservative, uh, and reconstructions, Jews in America, that's the era of Rav. They have destroyed the religion in America. It's terrible what they've done. And in Israel, it's all the anti, the government figures who are anti-Torah. And there's so many of them, uh, you know, in the Knesset, the Supreme Court, <clears throat> and, and so many departments that are uh, against the Torah and so on. All of them have to be removed. <clears throat> That's the, the next stage uh, of, in terms of a messianic approach. And what has to happen after that, there has to be a transitional figure between the end of the era of Rav and the Mashiach himself. And that transitional figure has to be an interesting kind of person. It has to be Trump-like, it's interesting, because what Israel really needs is a Trump. You know, if, ever, if Israel ever had a Trump-like figure, I don't mean his vocabulary and all that, I can leave out, you know? Uh, but they need a man who's incredibly defiant, who's not interested in really public opinion, he will do to get the job done. And Israel has many problems. Cost of living is a terrible problem. Real estate prices is a problem. The bureaucracy is terrible. The regulations are terrible. Boy, can Israel use a Trump. Uh, and ultimately, a transitional figure will be that, and it'll reverse. And not only that, the, one of the main things that have to happen before Mashiach comes is spirituality. 
Something has to happen when the Jewish people become more spiritual. And there will be a tremendous rise of the Torah itself. And I, I maintain that it's really very easy. You know, imagine there are many Kirov movements in Israel. The problem is they have no money. <clears throat> Kirov movements in Israel are very successful. What happens if the government gave them money? Just like they give the colleges. The Kirov movement itself would be very influential and be able to turn hundreds and thousands of people perhaps millions of people, because they're very successful. Uh, I mean, their day schools are very successful, uh, and, and so on. Uh, um, what's the, the, in, in any case, uh, the yeshivas are very good. If the Kirov movement had, if they introduced Torah studies in the high schools, one, if the government did that, which they don't, and if they supplied money to all the Kirov movements, whatever they are, Achim, and Lev Lachim, and so on and so forth, then these organizations would have money to go out throughout the entire Israel. <laughs> I guarantee you in three years you'd have everybody in Israel religious. Not because they're compelled, because they'd want to be religious. Because look at the difference what happens in, 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 in the public schools and so on, the quality of the students there, without Torah and so on. Uh, all this is up ahead, because all of this must happen before the Mashiach comes. The most dangerous man in the world, you know what that is? It's Mashiach. Why? He will kill everybody. Uh, the problem is the Mashiach is so, he's such a lofty figure. I'll give you an example. It says in Yeshayo, Hine Yaskel Avdi, Behold, my servant will grow wise. It's in Yeshayo, Nun uh, Beis, at the end. Behold, my servant will grow wise. And then it has three expressions of growth. Viyorum, he, uh, he will become exalted. Benisa de Begova, he will be exceedingly great. So the members, who is this Avdi? Who, who is this my servant? Who is he referring to? So the Targum says it's Malka Mashiach. It's Mashiach. So the Mendesh asks, why do you have to have three expressions of growth? And the Mendesh says, incredible. Because the first expression, behold, my servant will grow wise. The first expression of growth, the Yoram, means that he will be greater than Avram Avino. Remember, this is a guy who's going to come here, a person who is going to come amongst us, right? And he's going to rule, right? This person will be greater than Avram Avinu. Now, we cannot understand who Avram Avinu is. Could you imagine a person being greater than Avram Avinu, living now and here? Second expression of growth, that he will be great. Venisa. So the Medrash says Venisa means he will be greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. Do you realize what that is, greater than Moshe Rabbeinu? When Moshe Rabbeinu came down from the mountain, right, he had to wear a mask. You could not look at his face. You see, the Mashiach could be greater than Moshe. We have no comprehension on the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu. There's a man who spoke to God for 40 years directly, right? We don't understand what that is, but that is an incredibly dangerous person to be next to because you cannot tolerate that holiness. And the third expression of growth, the mentor says, the government is that he will be greater than the Malachim. Now, imagine a man who's greater than Avram, greater than Moshe, and greater than the Malachim. And he's walking around, right? Talking to you. He will kill you. Because you cannot tolerate that Kiddusha. In fact, that's the same concept when the Jews received the Torah. The first two commandments were given by God. And then everybody died. Why? The, the, the statement by God is the messianic light. That's really what it was. And everybody died because they couldn't tolerate that Kiddusha. 
you know, they, 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 they just can't handle it and they will die. <clears throat> Therefore, the Mashiach cannot come in his, what's called, Bidikunoi, <clears throat> as he is fully developed, or else he'll kill the whole planet. Therefore, what God has to do, two things. He has to diminish the Mashiach himself, and that's the whole concept of the Surah Mashiach, that the Mashiach himself has to suffer, you see. And part of the suffering is that he is severely diminished, so therefore he can walk around, they don't even know who he is, and you're okay. And the second thing that the Bansham is going to do is raise the level of Ruchmias in Klai Yisrael. Because the Mashiach, Bansham is not going to bring the Mashiach to Klai Yisrael, there are a bunch of Amaratsam. And most Jews are gone. 11 million Jews out of 14 are gone. He's not going to do that. Uh, so both of these things have to be corrected. One, something will happen where there will be an incredible spiritual lift of the Jewish people, especially in the Torah, their knowledge of the Torah, because that is Ruchnius. And the second thing is that the Mashiach himself has to be freed from his chains. The classic story of Mashiach, Ben Yosef, that's what I'm referring to, Ben David comes later, is Yosef in Egypt. Yosef in Egypt is a messianic figure, you see, and he's in prison. And then finally the Bosham allows him to come out overnight, right? He comes out and he rules Egypt. That's the classic. And Yosef at Sadiq, the, the which is interesting, when the brothers, of course, came, you know, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't recognize Yosef, but whatever. And all of a sudden, Yosef, <coughs> he's sitting with them, you know, <coughs> Yigash, and Yehud is confronting him. And all of a sudden, Yosef says, Ani Yosef. And they're stunned. That's exactly how the revelation is going to happen. Well, all of a sudden, the guy says, I am the Messiah, the Mashiach, right? And he proves it, because that's by Yosef. It says, V'chol and everything that Yosef did, God made successful. By the way, that's how you know he is a Mashiach. Because he cannot fail. That's how you know he's Mashiach. Anybody who fails is not a Messiah. The Mashiach is somebody who can never fail. Because he has complete divine assistance, you see. And that's how you know who the Mashiach. But all of a sudden, he announces himself, and he has all the proof he needs. And there are many different things that he demonstrates, which clearly indicate... He's a, a supernatural person and so on, you know. <clears throat> but these are the things that have to take place, you see. The era of Rav has to be dismissed. Although the remainers Jews, which they are, but their shlita, their domination of the Jewish people in terms of removing the Torah as a central feature in spirituality must be removed. And they're next. You, you notice what's happening. It's just one after the other. After that, what has to happen is there has to be a, trans a, a transitional individual who can bridge the gap. And this guy, by the way, is going to look modern, even though he's going to be from. So then everybody will accept him. You can't have a guy with a Schleimel sitting in the Knesset. Not going to buy it, you know. <clears throat> Not as a prime minister, anyway. Uh, and this figure is a transition. And he's the individual that will change Israel for the better. Just like Trump is... Why should America be zoichet to Trump? Why can't we have a Trump-like figure that will also change the whole craziness of the society? I mean, Israel is an incredible place, but there are, there are, there are millions of people that are below the poverty level and, and so on. But spiritually, Israel in many ways, spiritually, unfortunately and tragically, in many ways, is, is, is a desert. But it could be incredible, uh, and like I said, it could bring the majority of all the people of Israel back into the fold of the Rabbanu Shalom. Then, the Mashiach is released, and that's the real beginning, that's called Aschalta Tegula, when, like Yosef out of prison, 
he, when he's released, okay, and then the, the whole uh, spiritual stature of Israel rises. You see, that's what's next. And how it's going to happen, it's, it's incredible, but I once I said, there are three things that happen when, when, the, when it's messianic. One is, like Homan was overturned in one day, he was gone. So this whole thing that I'm talking about now, everything, Trump was a Venahapechu, wasn't he? Right? And his mom was Venahapechu. He came out of nowhere. And so on, if you remember, you know? Even Saudi Arabia changing is a Venahapechu. It's just incredible what's going on. The recognition of, of Israel and, and, and so, Rebashkin, so many things, it's all Venahapechu. The second Pasuk is what God says to Moshe by Kriya Syamsov, by the, the, uh, the uh, splitting of the Red Sea. His Yatsvuru stand and watch. Is Yeshua Hashem, the salvation of God. Hashem Yilochem Yochem. God will fight for you. The Atam Tachmishim. Be quiet. In other words, it's a situation where we are not Mishtadl. Our Mishtadlers, our effort to bring the Mashiach is over. Now it's God's job. When He says, That's enough, I will take over. And that's how all of this happens, even though everybody's, it's, it's amazing to watch, even though everybody hates and these forces of evil dominate, in one, in one moment they will be overturned, you see. <clears throat> and then it says, Evan Mo'asu is the third person, the stone that the builders despised, became the cornerstone, we say it in Halel, became the cornerstone, you see. All these things, you know, and that's what the Mashiach is. And, and, and people, the, the people who are despised become messianic figures. And in many ways, Trump is that. Everybody hates the guy, you see, but yet he's changing America that has never happened before. And by the way, the reason why everybody hates him is because it's satanic, because the sun is dying. That's really what's happening. 99% of all his energy is gone. So therefore, what he's trying to do is resurrect himself, and he's trying to get everybody to evict Trump, because what Trump is doing, because the, the, uh, the main agent of the Sultan is Edom, Aesop. Uh, Aesop was the main agent of the, of the Sultan. America is the, 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 America is what Aesop is, and what's happening is Trump is removing America from the hands of the Sultan by trying in many ways to overturn, to be matad, to purify. And therefore the Sultan is influencing anybody he can to get rid of this guy. That's why you see this incredible opposition. You should know one thing, the opposition to Trump is, <clears throat> it's, it's almost otherworldly. It had never happened before in American history that there's so many people that want to get rid of this guy. And anything he says is immediately translated for the bad. Uh, it's just astounding to watch. No president in America has, a, has ever gone through the incredible, <clears throat> uh, what it called, uh, 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 aggression that is happening to Trump. Why? Because Trump is a messianic figure, but he's a Mashiach of Edom, of course, not the Jews. And that's why the Sultan is trying to destroy him, to get rid of him. Because in many ways, he's going to assist Israel to begin the whole process. <clears throat> I would like to end by one remez. When God speaks to Moshe, it's interesting, it's uplifting. And if I'm right, it's incredible. When God says to Moshe, in last week's parasha, or rather two weeks ago, Shemais, so Moshe was talking to Moshe Rabbeinu by the burning bush, and he says to Moshe, of course you have to go to Parai and to tell them, tell Parai, you gotta let the Jews out, right? So the Moshe uses a very interesting expression. Pokoi I have surely remembered 
the travails of the Jews. Now, Pokhari Pekati is a very important term. When Moshe Rabbeinu did come to Egypt, right, so he used a certain expression, Pokhari Yifkari, and they didn't know, the Jews at that time didn't know, well, how do we know he's a Messiah? And he was. He was an incredible poet, Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh, so they went to Serach Bas Osher. They went to Hall. And they said, how do we know that he's the Mashiach? Uh, so Serach Bas Osher said, because he's going to use the term, God has remembered you. In fact, Yosef, before he died, he says to his brothers, remember me to take me out of Egypt when you guys will go out of Egypt, because that was, of course, was in the war that the Jews were able to leave. is a very important term because it means I, uh, that I remember, you see, because the Messianic process consists of two periods, and we say it in Yalav Yovoi, the and it should be remembered, Pekido, and again remembered, you know. Oh, the Pekido the is the first stage of the redemption. It's when the Mashiach himself is freed, Mashiach when Yosef is freed from chains. It's the equivalent of Yosef leaving. But even though the Mashiach is freed, and now he can grow, the three expressions of growth, and so on, but the second expression, V'yizokher, is the Shekhinahs in Golos. The divine presence itself is subject to Golos, without getting into what, what, the, what that exactly means. But when the Mashiach is released, it's called the Pekido. And when God is released, so to speak, the Shekhinah, when it itself leaves, uh, you know, the, uh, the, um, dif uh, the uh, chains, divine chains, but of course that's all figurative and so on, uh, that's called the Zechira. So when God said to Moshe, Pokadati, that by the snare, the snare was the Pekido. It was the release of the Mashiach. Why? Because Moshe Rabbein was informed that he's the Messiah. And he has to take people out, he has to give them the Torah, and so on. The Gematria of Pokhoi Pokhadati. Now, the word Pokhoi is missing a vav. You read it, it's the Kree. Pokhoi, because Pokhoi, it has a vav, but it's missing. So you read it as Pokhoi, right? But it's not written as Pokhoi. The vav is missing. The Gematria of Pokhoi Pokhadati is 778. What's this year? 5,778. Mm -hmm. That's number one. But what about which millennia is it? Because each millennia is a 778, correct? Uh, that's why the Vov is missing. Because if the Vov was included, it wouldn't be 778, right? It would be 784. So the Vov is missing, so you can't count it as part of the Gematria. But since you say it, the Vov, that's the sixth millennium, because Vov is six, you see. So it's not written, so the Gematria, you cannot count it as the numerical value, because it's missing a Vov. So the, the, it adds up to 778. But which millennium? The sixth millennium, which is because since you read the Vov, right, you don't, it's not written, but you read it, that means it is included. What's the Vov? Six. In the sixth millennium, of the year 778, which is this year, is Apocalypticity. Interesting. Let's hope. Right. That's it. In any case, uh, I hope I, I've summarized it adequately. But the main idea to remember is that it's happening. Things are happening which is completely abnormal. But the incredible thing is it's happening in incredible acceleration. Like not a day goes by when something significant happens. 
And we're talking about ruled nations. We're not talking about somebody opening up a candy store in the corner, you know? Uh, thing, uh, the, <clears throat> the whole thing with Iran is the beginning of the fall of Iran. And I'll tell you why, why? Because Iran is now worried. Even if they put it down, they're worried. Why? Because they now realize that the whole theocracy is threatened. Because the people can't stand it. You're giving all the money away to who? To Syria, to Hamas, to Hezbollah, right? So now they realize, wait a minute, we can't keep giving money to these guys because we are facing a real rebellion on our hands. So what they're going to have to do is reduce the amount of money they give to jihadists, you see? And that is very good for Israel. Less money for Hezbollah, the better it is for Israel. Because now they have to put it back into Iran to increase the economic uh, uh, situation of Iran. So what you're witnessing now is the beginning of the fall of Iran. That's a Khalish in Iran. That they now can no longer sponsor terrorism the way they used to, you see? Because if not, they are worried about an overthrow of the whole country. And they're smart. They don't want the, you know, they realize it's what they see. They see the handwriting on the wall. They must elevate the economy of Iran which means automatically that they now have to give a lot of money to the people themselves to raise the economy, which means that there's less money going to the, uh, the, the terrorists, which is very good for Israel. But the main message to take out is, wait a minute, that means this is the beginning of the fall. That's how you have to view it, you see? Forget about the economy of Iran and so on, you know? But if the Rabbanishim is doing that, it's only the Rabbanishim, it's nobody else, you see? <clears throat> It's amazing that the Rabbanishim is taking out everybody without Israel having to fire a bullet. He took out all the Arab nations. That's the Hisyats for rule. Where God says to Israel, the Jewish people, don't worry, you don't have to do anything. You're worried about all the Arab nations, right? You're worried about Libya, and then you're worried about Egypt, right? And Iraq, right? And you're worried about Syria and Lebanon. Don't worry about it. Stand back and watch, right? And what does God do? In an unbelievable way, he just knocked out seven or eight Arab nations, and they're basically, they're, they're basically becoming failed states. And, it wasn't, and it's not because of Israel, they didn't do anything. Israel is sitting there, the IDF, with their mouths open, because they can't believe. It's like, the, you, if you recall, when the Soviet Union collapsed, there wasn't a, it collapsed in three days. <coughs> the mighty Soviet Empire, right? In three days, with Yeltsin, if you remember that, on top of the tank with beer or whatever the guy had, and so, you know. Uh, it happened in three days without a bullet being fired. Who could pull that off? Nobody. Here, America's always worried about, you know, war with Russia. And the Russian laughs at that, and without any attempt to interfere, right, God just throws them over. And it's happened again with the Arab nations. It's, it's, it's one of the greatest miracles of all, is that the whole Arab, all of them, one after the other, they're basically failed states. And like I say, even economically, they're all threatened. And the Russian just knocked out Abbas. Because when he made Jerusalem the capital, Abbas was never let to stand on. You see? And because he was hoping that part of it, you know, and you know what they're telling Abbas? They say, forget about East Jerusalem. The capital will be Ramallah. You believe this? This man's been fighting. This is their cause celebrate, as they say. East Jerusalem, and the Arabs are telling them, Saudi Arabia is telling them, cut the nonsense already, because Saudi Arabia needs Israel. So they realize that Abbas had become what's called a flying new ointment. Come, cut it out already. Do something. So he told them, <coughs> forget about East Jerusalem. They're not going to give you East Jerusalem. You're dreaming. Take Ramallah. 
I mean, Ramallah, you ever see Ramallah? But Abbas has no choice. That's why he's going crazy, you see. But, and these are the Arabs siding with Israel. That the Arabs are forcing Abbas to take stuff that even Israel isn't even asking. That's the Yeshua. When the Rabbanisham steps in, you can't believe what he does. Like Chris Samson. And that's Messianic. It's one of the greatest understandings of what the Messianic era is. When we do nothing, we just have to continue doing mitzvahs to doing tshuva, you see. But I want to tell you, leave this. And, that, that's a, that, and it's very important revelation. You can ask, well, what do we do? What should we do, right? What should our avoid do? And it's in the same posseg. Here's what it says. Hashem right? Stand back and watch. As Yeshua Hashem, the salvation of God. You do nothing. I'll take care of it. And then it says, right? Hashem yilochem God will fight for you. He will fight for you. What do you do? Be silent. What does that mean, be silent? God is saying, you're a voidor at the time, right, of the redemption. Because Kriya Samsev was the end of the Egyptians. That's the beginning of the real envy to Torah. Uh, so the Moshim is telling them what the avoider is. While I'm doing this, what do you do? The be silent. What does that mean, be silent? No Russian horror. Because what were they doing? They were complaining at the sea. Remember, you brought us out here where there are no graves in Egypt, right? That's Russian horror. And one of the things that Russian horror does is it arouses the kitrugim of the sultan, measure for measure. You want to condemn, so the sultan has the right to condemn you. So what God said, listen, you know, if you guys are going to talk Lashon Hara, then you're going to awaken the sultan to prosecute and not to redeem you. So you are a voider before Mashiach comes is, shh, don't speak Lashon Hara, and therefore arouse the sultan to be able to prosecute you, you see. And that's our avoider. Be careful with your speech. And if we're careful with our speech, then the rest will happen without our effort, just like the Russian is demonstrating. I mean, it's, it's, you have to contemplate the, the nisim of what's happening. All the, Arab, the Arab states are failing, and now we see even Iran is beginning to falter. That's what it means, that Iran is beginning to falter, which is tremendous. And you remember what uh, uh, Zeresh, Herman's wife, said. Once you begin to fall, Kivich, Achilois, and Ninpol, nofal people of fun of. That's what she, uh, <coughs> it sounds like Zeresh was more, uh, she was a bigger talent Chochem uh, than a lot of other people. She understood that when you begin to see the Mapolo of the enemy, that's the beginning of the end. And that's exactly what you've just seen with Iran. It's the beginning of the fall of Iran. Although the Russian doesn't want to completely take them out, because that, 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 that will take longer. But, and all of this has happened in the last, what, month? Yeah, it's incredible that all of this has occurred with such unbelievable acceleration and rapidity. But that is what's happening. And if you think last year was great, check it out this year. It's going to really be incredible, you know, uh, especially the concept of pocket pocality and so on, you know. Uh, and the next thing, of course, is Trump with the peace plan. It's, it's, it's an incredible show to watch how the Bonshim is going to do everything for Klein's world. And we just have to do our avoider, be careful with your speech. Don't speak Lashon Hara. And what the Bonshim really wants, because Lashon Hara is the major factor for the split of the Jewish people. I believe that two things happen by Rubashim. 
and that's what accelerated the process of Iran beginning to fall. The first was the incredible display of Achtus among Jews when Rubashkin was released. It wasn't, it wasn't, known, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't just Hasidim or, or Lubavitcher. Everybody went wild. I don't care who you were. <clears throat> that is an incredible display of Achtus. A God wants Achtus, and the greatest this, uh, this, uh, um, uh, enhancer of, uh, of not Achtus, period, is what? Is Lashon Hora. Because when you speak Lashon Hora about somebody, you are creating a tremendous period separation between the Jews. That, now you understand why Lashon Hora is so great. It's not only because it's a terrible sin, and it uh, invokes the prosecuting attorney <coughs> called the Sultan, but worse than that, it destroys the Achtus of Klyasrom. And that is why God said, the avoider of redemption, you don't speak Lashon Hora, because I need the Achtus of Klyasrom. <coughs> That's number one. Why, why, why believe all of a sudden you see a massive uh, acceleration because of that Achtus? But I believe another reason. I believe because Arnold Steinman, when a tzaddik dies, there's a tremendous kapora for Kleinsville. And I believe his death on the era of Hanukkah <clears throat> arraigned or, or aligned, or however you want to say it, created such an incredible kapora for Kleinsville, because he was an incredible person, that that source of his death moved everything forward. That's a personal belief. And so on. In any case, <clears throat> This is the major idea, that we are watching a tekufa where is Yatsu which we have never seen, you see. In many ways, the Jews, of course you do mitzvahs and tshuva and everything else, but the real thing now is God doing everything for us. And then when you look at it, I mean, God put Trump in. We didn't, right? He laughs at everything, you know? It's like America forgot one thing. The only vote that counts in America is God's. America's vote is irrelevant. You see, and that's exactly what happened. <coughs> he decides, and he's moving it forward. And we don't do anything. Everything just happens. It just falls into place, uh, you know? And I want you to say one thing, which is really one incredible thing, you know? It is that when, nah, I'll leave it out. <laughs> <laughs> what we are watching is a period of time of his Yatsu rule. That's what the important thing is, that things are happening without us doing anything, and we just, Gape, we're stunned by what's happening in all the nations of the world, not just with America, with the with the uh, with what's happening now with Abbas, what's happening now, uh, in terms of Saudi Arabia and the whole the, 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 the America's confrontation with the UN, which of course they're afraid we want to take away 285 million dollars, and that's the beginning of what he wants to do. They realize what's happening, and they're all frightened of what he could what he, oh, because Trump is unpredictable, uh, which is great. Because somebody's unpredictable always keeps you in a state of fear, <laughs> right? If we were predictable, you could figure out, okay, I know he's going to do A, so I'm going to do B, right? No, no, no. I don't know if he's going to do A, B, or C, you see? So he keeps up the fear, which is a great element to change the world, to change America, you see? So everybody's afraid of him, you know? It's just astounding, you know, how he can vary from day to day, especially with his tweets. And, and so on, you know. Uh, but this is the key to remember. We are in the period of his Yatsu and Mashiach is literally right around the corner. And uh, and uh, let me tell you, you know, I, I remember when I was watching the uh, the dancing from, with Rubashkin. The, the simcha was incredible, you know. So I said to myself, if this is the way <coughs> Klaus reacts, because one Jew is released from prison, 
What's it going to be when all the Jews come back to Mashiach, to the Klai Dumashem? Could you imagine the Simcha? If this is the Simcha, the joy, because one Jew is released, <coughs> could you imagine the Simcha when the Mashiach comes? And I'll tell you one thing, when he comes, two things are going to happen. One is that the Jews will dance with a dance you have never seen before. The Simcha will be beyond comprehension. That's the first thing that will happen. The second thing will happen is all those people that were anti-Semites, they will tremble because they know what's next. Judgment. <clears throat> those are the two things that will happen simultaneously. But that's what we're looking forward to, that incredible Simcha of the Achtos of Kleinsville and the Achtos between Kleinsville and the Islam. And it's up ahead, very close. Let's see. Thank you. Questions? Yes. Anybody want to ask? <laughs> the only question I'm not going to answer is who the Mashiach is. When will it come? come. Yeah. Yeah, So you were talking about how things are basically going to get more robust in America, better in America. Yes. Right? Okay. So. You know, in Israel, the, um, a lot of us Americans are noticing the, um, the issue with the shekel and the dollar. Yeah. And um, it looks actually opposite like what you're saying, that the, that the American economy is not as strong as Israel's economy. That's you know, I am. No, no. You can't look at a America. Just take a look. When the economy of America rises, which it is, I mean, the stock market is up to 25,000, right? And it's not just that. The regulations, there are so much, businesses are gonna bring back money from overseas because it doesn't pay really to keep you know, money in the offshore banking and so on and so forth. All of this is gonna raise America to make a dollar the one of the, the greatest currencies of all. The key is the, the, the dollar as a currency. You know, whenever there's a worry about, is, uh, you know, about the economy, what do people always do? They buy American bonds. They, they don't buy European, you know, because America has the greatest secure economy in the world. That's the key to look at. You know, first of all, if, well, if the Israeli shekel is worth a lot, that, sh that is an indicator of what? Of the rise of Israel's economy, isn't it? That also will rise, not just America, you see. The greatness of American economy is the strength of the dollar, which will be incredible as they grow. And the greatness of Israel is the rise of the shekel. So it's interesting against each other, you know, but really when you think about it, they're both rising, which is an incredible indicator that it's, 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 it's on its way, you see? Okay, that's good. Can I ask a follow-up question? Yeah. What about the, the, um, the Jews that are still in America? Yes. That you're speaking of like a, a, a flourishing of, of life there, but um, which it seems to me that that would encourage them to remain. To remain. So how does that fit in with the Kibbutz Goliath being part of this whole process? That's a very good question. Mm -hmm. I have you. my own theory about how. I'd love to hear it. Uh, that's one of the great puzzles, is if America becomes prosperous, there will be less inclination of Jews to come to Israel. That's what you're really saying. Yeah. But remember one thing. <clears throat> if the, 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 once God decides that I need to bring Israel back to me, 
and it, they cannot come back as amaratsum. They cannot come back as ignoramuses. You know, <clears throat> they have to come back as real spiritual people. And you see that from um, when it says, Umol Hashem is Levavchem, God will circumcise, circumcise the heart. It's only at the end of the Tzom, you know. There's so many verses that talk about God saying, and I will gather them. And remember it says, one passage, it says, um, I think, and I, and I will gather the, them from all the ends of the, the earth, right? And then it says, from wherever their eggs are and so on. <clears throat> Once God decides to do that, which he will, then there will be a phenomenon created that will arouse the Jews to spirituality. One of the great puzzles is what type of phenomenon is that? You see, what, what can bring back in a rising American economy, what can bring uh, people back uh, to, to the concept of spirituality? There are different scenarios. Uh, what, which scenario is true? I don't know. You know. But there are scenarios which I can see can be true. One of them is, I'll just give you one of them, <clears throat> where when the Mashiach, the Pekido, remember? That's where the Mashiach is released. And that's where all of a sudden he begins his growth process. Is that when he, and, uh, which is an astounding concept. Once, he, like Moshe with the snare, when Moshe left that snare, it wasn't the Moshe before the snare. It was, it was a messianic figure, you see. <clears throat> and Moshe, as soon as he went to Egypt, right, they believed him. Moshe didn't think they would, but that's Vayamino boy. They believed him. Why? We're talking about the whole Egyptian Jewish population. There were two million Jews in Egypt, because we know that, because there were 600,000 Jews male, right? Each one probably had a wife above the age of 20. I'm not even talking about the below 20, right? Each one had a wife, and they had kids. There was over two and a half million people in Egypt, of Jews. Uh, so how does one man come and say, by the way, we're gonna, God's going to take you out? And it says, Vayamino. They believed him before the Marcus, right? Not after the, the Marcus, right? They believed him already before. And because the figure of a Messiah, we do not comprehend what that is. You're looking at a person who not only exudes incredible spirituality, but is able to read your mind, he's able to know who you are. Like, yeah, I read that. He can look at your forehead and tell you everything about you, and you get very impressed. Not only that, with a guy like that, right? Uh, so he's a guy that can know everything about you instantly. That's number one. Number two, he has the koyach of a brocha. Incredible. It means if he says a brocha, it happens. Because it has to be successful. Uh, and the third thing is that when you stand, when you stand in his presence, you he does something to your neshama that automatically you feel. Imagine if you saw Moshe Rabbeinu, I guarantee you, you wouldn't be the same after you left him. All right? Because there's something about him that represents all Klai Yisrael, which is, because uh, he does, he, he has a chilek of the neshama of all Klai Yisrael. So when you speak to the guy, all of a sudden you change. You become, he taps into your soul and immediately you know, it's like, it's an awakening. It's called, uh, let me use this word. <clears throat> what the Mashiach will do is arise in consciousness. That's what he does, you see? So by his ability to give a bracha, by his ability to know everything about you, and by his ability to transform you, by rising your consciousness, that's it. And he will do that to the Jewish people. So that's it. I mean, a person like that has awesome powers. He has an awesome ability to get you to believe a ruchnius. That's the, that's Moshe Rabbeinu. That's exactly, it's a repeat performance of Moshe Rabbeinu. So it sounds so, like what you're saying is they're not really 
likely to come in big numbers until after Mashiach is freed and appears, right? It's hard to say because there's a lot of <coughs> there could be a lot of interludes and so on, you know. But there's no question that the Mashiach himself is part of the rise in spiritual consciousness of the Jewish people. <coughs> Does it mean when he is fully developed? Not necessarily. Even if he's partially developed, he changes your life. You know, when he's fully developed, he kills you. There's a difference, you know, because you, you cannot tolerate that kedusha. But as he grows, you will sense this person. And that's, that's how Moshe was able to influence two and a half million people. What did he have? But, the, but after Moshe Rabbeinu, after the snare, the burning bush, you couldn't even stand in his presence. It would just be awesome. And that's what he has to koyach. I would think a man with that kind of koyach, right? A man who knows everything about you instantly. A man who will give you a brocha, and it must be fulfilled. You see? And a man who can inject in you an incredible spirit where he taps to your neshama. Remember, he's not talking to you. He taps into your neshama, what's called the pintalihid, and he raises it, and automatically when the neshama rises, there's a tremendous rise in your consciousness, and you feel the presence of God. How can you not change? You see? And that's what's going to happen. You know? Yeah? What, what about the... feel that it's tremendous... What was that? Do you feel that it's dramatically tremendous increase in anti-Semitism in Europe? I can't hear you. Say it again. Do you feel that the... Two things. Do you feel that the tremendous rise in anti-Semitism in Europe... Yes. ...is going to spill over to the United States? No. You don't? No. Because I was thinking... That, that might be one of the impetus. You know, Europeans have a long history of anti-Semitism. Yeah. Believe me, you know. And they're all, you know, they're, they're, that's who they are. They're, they've had thousands of years of anti-Semitism and they just continue. America doesn't have a history of anti-Semitism. Americans are not that type of people, you see. And, and basically, right, the polls show that most Americans are behind Israel. So why would, you know, I don't believe that will ever happen. You got it? What's it? I... Yeah, I also feel that the maybe eight, nine, ten percent of Orthodox Jewry, that's all that Orthodox Jewry is yeah. from the whole Jewry in the United States. Yes. The rest is gone. conservative and, and yeah. they are intermarrying at like seventy-five percent. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So no matter how You know when Moshe Rabbeinu came to Egypt, what do you think the Egyptian Jews were doing? Yeah, they were. They were the Zara. Right. Right? So how does a man come? to a, a whole people, remember, the only thing they had left for them, right, they didn't change their garb, the their language, and their names, right? that's all they had left, and they were Memtesh Shana now ask yourself, how in the world, okay, you can say maybe Jews now Memtesh Shana but ask yourself a question, how does one man come to a two and a half million people that in the 49th level of Tumor, how do he do it, right, that's the greatest cure of secret of all, right, you know how he did it, because he was a Mashiach, almost, that's how you, there's no other way. That's exactly how it's going to happen. How do we know? Because it says, He may go out the Eschem Achis gracious. Behold, I will redeem you the last like the first. And that's one of the secrets of understanding the redemption. If you understand the first, which is Egypt, you will understand the second. And there's a lot of secrets in that. But the main idea is that's how he did it. Because remember, right? You, you remember that. Mem Teshari How? It's two and a half million Jews. Who are on the 49th level of evil, but not evil actually, it's Tumor, right? And one guy shows up and says, by the way, we're getting out. You see? And they believed him. 
Because that's what a Mashiach can do. We are not talking about a normal person. Actually, he's super normal. We're the ones who are not normal. And he will correct that. He will be the greatest psychotherapist ever known. Can I ask a question? Oh, uh, yeah. What about the tremendous upheaval and destruction just immediately prior to the Mashiach? Oh, you're uh, 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 forecast As far as I believe, it will not happen. It should have happened. It should have, but it was absorbed by the Holocaust. What about all the destruction that predicted before Shia comes? It should have happened. But what the Bonshan did is he took that type of destruction that should have preceded the Messianic era, and he put it into what's called the Holocaust. That's why the Holocaust was so terrible because it included many things that the Jews had to absorb as to prevent a terrible calamity before the Mashiach comes. So there will be a confrontation, which we say, the UN and all that, Jerusalem, right? But there will not be that type of slaughter that was absorbed and <coughs> taken care of by the Holocaust. Um, That's one of the dimensions of the Holocaust. And the Holocaust. Is sort of splitting and... What was that? Like, like an earthquake sort of thing, and they move into the east and to the west and... Whatever, but that, that, that aspect of the, of, of the, the Messianic uh, is, is, is gone. There will be confrontations, but not that. that, was, that that's, one of the, uh, that's one of the terrible um, severity of the Holocaust. Because it had to also assume what would be the f before the Mashiach. So God just piggybacked it on the Holocaust. Because once anyway, and there's a whole reason for the Holocaust, which I'm not going into, and so on. But that's one of the dimensions of the Holocaust. Yeah? The, the intermarriage in America by, by Marley describes so clearly, in a paradoxical way, the Jews, when they're marrying now <coughs> Christians, uh, is there some, some paradoxical possible thing that's good about that? Not in the way we usually see it, but in terms of rejoining uh, Yaakov and, and Esau and some... What you present is an interesting concept, yes. I mean, that doesn't mean a guy should marry a guy. Right? That, you know, but in terms of but, what's happening, because uh, uh, where yes. the Jews are going... Because remember, when Esau, when Esau does tshuva, right, it's all the goyim that do tshuva. That's one of the reasons why there's a, a great movement in Christians coming back. This is the beginning of the rising consciousness of goyim. And, and what you're saying is, is, is a very interesting thesis. Yes, when somebody marries a guy, which is terrible either way, right? <clears throat> so when all of a sudden Mashiach comes and this guy has a rise, guess what's going to happen to his spouse? He or she will have an incredible rise. And that is part of the way, obviously, and not that it was desired, but once it happened, it is certainly part of the way that Goyim will return. But Goyim anyway, I think, there are many Goyim that realize the the, uh, the emptiness of Christianity. I mean, I don't want to dwell on that, you know, and so on. And there is, but that movement of return is Aesop doing Chufa. That's what it is, you see? Although they always try to, yeah, they come up with these delusions that they're really B'nai Avram and B'nai Yisrael, 10 tribes, it's all nonsense. You got it. Uh, getting back to the Kirov thing. Kirov, yeah. What you mentioned uh, about Tons of yeshiva buffers around here. Um, why allocate more money? Why not just have them do the kiruv in the city? Who's them? The yeshiva buffers. Have them do the kiruv by teaching the kids. And the, in they do that. They do that. But I, I, I haven't, I haven't gone to school here, like uh, okay. high school or whatever. Yeah. 
one of the best methods of learning is by teaching. So no, no, I agree with you. No, no, but it's not. It's insufficient because you need money. You, you need money to. That, that be part of their whole process. No, no, no. I, 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 again, again, again. I, I agree with you, but it's not enough. You need money to get out there with a ma with a major program. You're not listening to what I'm saying, but anyway. Oh, on this side? Yeah. Uh, what do you think about idea expression? Uh, about the what? Idea about idea or guessing. Is that uh, Trump is a similar function, similar figure as uh, King Cyrus? As who? King Cyrus. Kurdish? I don't believe he's Kurdish. No. I'll tell you, first of all, like I said, you know, he is, uh, as far as I'm concerned, he's a guild of Antoninus, because that was the perfect, perfect relationship between the Ace of it and, and Israel, you see. Not only that, you know, he, he's a Roman emperor. America is the equivalent of Rome. It's a world nation, you see. And therefore, he it would qualify him to be a Roman emperor. Uh, in other words, it's a reincarnation of a Roman emperor coming back to be another Roman emperor. This kind is called America. I mean, it's similar, if you think about it, America is an eagle. That was also Russian, not Russia, that, well, also Russian bear, but that was a symbol of, uh, of Rome. <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, look, you know, it, it's, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I would put my money on that. You know, I'm not saying, I don't believe he's Kurdish, because Kurdish, Antoninus was the emperor of the entire world, so was America. Not only that, Antoninus was the perfect relationship between Antoninus and Rebbe, and this is what's happening with Trump. The relationship between Trump and, uh, and, and, and Jews, Israel, is astounding. Did you ever hear of a president that has a son-in-law who's an Orthodox Jew? <laughs> who's an ambassador who's an Orthodox Jew, right? And, uh, and, uh, and uh, a lawyer. Three Orthodox Jews, right, who all play a major part in his, uh, in his uh, you know, uh, administration. administration. Who ever heard of something like that? You know, of course not, you know? And everybody knows that, the, you know, the... Um, uh, listen, I mean, think about this, you know. I mean, Trump is proud of his granddaughters. They're all Jewish. He's going to go to their bas mitzvahs and their bar mitzvahs. I mean, you know, it's almost like he's a, what's called a, um, um, uh, he's almost a virtual Jew. Shabbos. <laughs> you know, it's, it's incredible. It's never happened before. You know, he's not a guy who likes Jews. He's a guy who's related to all the Jews. You know what I'm saying? And he looks, and he loves to speak to his grandkids, you know. He goes to the Seder, I mean, whatever it is, but, you know, the only thing he's missing is a Geras, I mean, and that's next. Yeah, no, he already is a Geverman. That, that, that's what makes him Jewish, right? Yeah, go ahead. So, uh, a couple of questions. One is, uh, Yaakov's estate with Dina, right, that uh, Esau went back, you know, with Darko. Uh, it, it, it has the same taste of the Avot and Timna. Right? That yeah, he, yeah. And that's right. Yeah. So the implication, I want to check the implication seems to be that as uh, <coughs> the Ishmael falls and the ideology of Ishmael falls, or the ideology of Christianity goes down, the implication is to correct that mistake that we should be welcoming them, welcoming, welcoming them into the fold. But, the, but there's a difference, you know. <coughs> There's no obligation to go out and welcome anybody. Jews have to remain religious. That's the task, you know? If somebody comes over to you, 
because they're interested, that's a different story. But there is no obligation to seek to convert. Jews do not convert. If you come over and you want to find out about Judaism and you're serious, right? Then that's one thing, you know? So these people you mentioned, Tim and so on, they wanted to be, they wanted to come. Is that the Jews went over to Timna? It was not with Esav. Esav, uh, he didn't, uh, you know, uh, Dina was kept from him, not like I want Dina. No, no, no. Esav was different because Esav wasn't of. I mean, Esav was a whole different story. But what I'm telling you in terms of what you're aiming at, like I said, you know, there's no obligation at all to go out to the Goyim. I mean, it'll happen in their time. You know, if God's plan is that they should all return, which it is his plan, by the way, Question is, is it before Mashiach where they can get credit? Or is it after Mashiach where they get no credit? Because there's no free will after Mashiach comes. Because then the truth is obvious. There's no more mitzvahs. I mean, there's mitzvahs, but there's no credit anymore because you, you no longer have free will. But the trick is to do it before Mashiach comes. That's why if they wake up before Mashiach comes, then they will get Olam Haba in a whole different way than if they wait after Mashiach comes. But there's no obligation to go out and convert them. Jews yeah, don't do that. There is the Aliyah that the Aliyah describes, right? That what? The Aliyah that the Yari describes, right? Yeah, well, yeah. The lady becomes Kohen, the Yisrael becomes lady, <clears throat> the Goy becomes Yisrael. But that's after Mashiach, not before. Okay. We, we, you know, we're talking about before. After Mashiach is a whole different understanding. Right. We don't understand what happens in the Messianic era. We have absolutely no comprehension. Remember, you're talking about an era where there's no death because the sudden is destroyed or whatever. Right? There's no sudden, there's no death, there's no sickness. And all professions that seek to heal, like yours, will be extinct because nobody's <laughs> sick. I, mean, I had to give you, you know, that news, you know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you'll just make a living some other way. But the truth is, you won't even have to make a living. You don't realize. Because everybody's going to run to serve the Jews. Everybody. That's why it says, you know, one Jew will have a you know, whole bunch of goyim running to serve him. Because they're going to say, we hear that God is with you. Guess what? You know, you, you, you ever hear a concept called the groupies? You know, uh, what do you call it? There's a celebrity, and everybody wants to be part of that celebrity. Why? Because they're hoping that his atzlok is going to rub off on them. <laughs> That's what it is, right? And maybe the guy can get your job, whatever, you know? You can't even, you can't begin to comprehend what the Goyim will do once Mashiach. Like it says in the Navi, and all the Goyim will see that I reside in the midst of the Jews. You know what that is? And we're talking about God residing in the midst of the Jews, Begoloi, it's open. I mean, because the divine presence that will emanate at the time of Mashiach, we cannot comprehend what that is, you see? So could you imagine where all the Goyim see that the Jews, all the Jews will be with him. Could you imagine being a prophet? You shut your eyes and you see the Shekhinah, and every guy will realize what the Jews are, and everybody's going to be begging to be your servant. Why? Because they realize that, like they said, God is with you. The only way we can taste that incredible, intoxicating you know, drug called God is if they, we connect with you, because it can only come through the Jew, because he did the Tikkun, you see? Uh, so that's, that, that's what it is. But there's, there's no obligation to go good. That's a big mistake people make. We're going to go, what they look at them do. If they want to come over to you, it's a different story. But even then you have to be careful. Why? Because most Jews are ignorant about their own religion. 
Uh, you know, and some guy can come over to you, and you have to be very careful with this. That's why you really cannot go over to them. Many goyim, you know, they'll argue with you. Not because they want to argue, because, wait a minute, you know, you're saying this, and all of a sudden they ask you a question, well, it says uh, in the, your Bible, you know, and he may do it innocently. But meanwhile, you don't even know how to answer the guy. So you're going to say, hmm, that's an interesting point. <laughs> you realize what that means? That means you have a hero of apicosis for that moment. You see? So... The only way you can, if you, if you ever, even if, one, even if a guy comes over to you, forget about going out to them, but even if a guy comes over to you, you, you can't dialogue with them because inadvertently they're going to bring in the religion. They have to because they're going to want to understand their religion, what's wrong with it, right? And they're going to ask you, what do you mean? It says the Bible, you know, that uh, uh, the suffering servant and all the, all the other stuff that they bring, which are incredible distortions of the term. And meanwhile, most Jews do not answer that. They don't know how many Jews know about their Tanakh. How many Jews know Ashkafa? So what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for an atheistic, apicosis thought. Can't do that. It's not worth it. And some Jews will say, you know, you got a point there. Then what do you do? You see, you, you, you cannot argue with a guy, period, unless you are thoroughly grounded in your religion. Most Jews are not, you see. I once had where, uh, you know, the witnesses, they go around, you know, so they used to come Sunday. I used to live in Brooklyn. So that, that was, you know, that was my Sunday entertainment, you know? <laughs> so they used to knock on my door. And I, I would open up and I'd see the whole, you know, the women dressed. I mean, they look nice and, you know, and so on. And they start preaching to me about, you know? Uh, so I once said, let me ask you something. You know, you, how many denominations are there in Christianity? There's over 250. I said, you can't even get your own act straight. What are you trying to convert me for? You don't even know what Christianity is. There are so many different uh, 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 sects of, of, of Christianities. Episcopalians and Methodists and Roman Catholics. They themselves don't even have it straight. And they argue with each other, you see? So you're coming to me? Who says you're right? Maybe the Episcopalians are right. You know, they didn't like that. <laughs> you know, so they said, and then I, then, then I said, the, you know, they started quoting me about the Bible. So, you know, of course I refused them. What are you talking about? So they thought, you know, so I said, well, obviously we cannot contend with you. We're going to bring our pastor. <laughs> you know? So the next week, they came with their guy, their pastor. <laughs> no, to me it was a Sunday, a Sunday afternoon fun. You know, and so the guy came into my house with, with his entourage, you know, and they sit down, right? Or they're going to get the Jew. They're going to get the rabbi. <laughs> you know, so they started throwing this stuff, you know, and, and I rebutted them. I said, what are you talking about, you know? And then I, what I did is I, I, I didn't just rebut them. I went on the attack. <laughs> and I attacked, and I showed them why the whole thing is nonsense. And I, I showed them. And one of the things I said, as I said to the guy, I said, I understand, you know, God gave the Torah, which they admit. See, what destroys Christian theology is they believe in the Torah. That's the destruction. If they would have just knocked out the Torah, it wouldn't be a problem. Because they don't believe in any of this, and therefore it's a, it's a new religion totally. But the problem is they accept the Torah, you see. So they have to gain all kinds of distortions. So I said, let me ask something. <clears throat> in order for God to convince the Jews, right, that Judaism is right, he had to appear to them in a way which we cannot even comprehend, like God says. I did not appear to you as a picture, you know? You heard my voice, you see? Uh, and so, f why? Because the Jews would never convince themselves that there is a God. 
right? You had to really come and convince them, you know, by, by an open, God never does this, by openly exposing himself to the Jewish people. That's what he did. And that's why everybody died. I said, something is something. God says, oh, the reason why God did that is to, to gain what's called credence of the Torah, right? So let me ask something. You come and tell me that there's one man, right, who comes to what he says, you know, to remove the Torah. You think that God, if this is what you need to convince, in order to convince me that Torah is not true, don't you think we have to have another Sinai? You think I'm going to listen to one guy who, and there are four people that said he was resurrected? Mary Magdalene and the crew, you know, come on, you're you crazy? Well, why would I believe for one person when it took two and a half million people to witness God? Can you answer me that? He was stunned. <laughs> I had a logical question. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You can't do that. You can't add, and not only that, you know, it, it, it just so much stuff, you know. Anyway, he was really, I mean, he was like fit to be tied. <laughs> So I, but I couldn't convince them because they, you know, it's like you know, you ever see some guy was once, uh, well, you know, shooting a, it was circles in a forest, and it was an arrow exactly in the middle, and the guy, and one tree after the other, he says, it's incredible, this guy, what a shot this guy is, you know, so he found the guy, he walked a little further, he saw a guy, you know, he says, how in the world are you so accurate? He says, what are you talking about? I first put the arrow in, and then I make the circles, <laughs> right? It's the same thing with these guys, you know. They believe a certain thing. Forget about convincing them. It's like a guy tells you, don't, convince, don't, don't confuse me with the facts. That's exactly what it is. And I realized that. And once I realized that, I said, hey, come on. You got, you, you're not interested in what I say. And what's the point? You know, so my entertainment was over. And that was it, you know. And then they, obviously they failed and they never came back, thank God. But uh, I'm just saying, it, when you're dealing with these people, there is no such thing as logic. This is it. That's the, that's the arrow. Now, we will try to defend all of this. And what can you do? But, the, but, that, but, the, so, but, that, but you have to be very careful. So I, I do this, fine, okay. But the average you can't do this. And if that guy succeeds in opening your mind to one doubt, right? Bad news for you, forget about him. So it's suicide, why do that? Unless you feel competent, you were grounded tremendously in Tanakh and Ashkafa, it's one thing. But, but that's even if a guy wants to come over to you, let alone to go and seek them, why would you want to do that? You're endangering your own ruchnias. People don't realize it. They think, wow, you know, it's like, it's like a person who feels insecure, so if I can make a guy from, right, I believe in it myself. That's not what you do. You do. This whole concept is a distortion of going after Goyim and trying to get them to join. Listen, if they want to join, fine. That's God, God has his timetable for that, you know? And they will eventually join because that's the whole concept of the redemption. But for you to go and seek them, why? You know, Jews are not a converting bunch. And like I said, even if they come over to you, you have to be very careful because they are going to bring their, their uh, what do you call it, their problems, their, you know, the doubts. Then what are you going to do? If you don't know how to answer that. That's because they're macabre, the seven mitras, which is not Christianity. Yeah, that, that's fine. If they walk over to you and say, I reject Christianity because I realize it's false. How do you deal, think about it. How in the world can you have a religion that deifies a man? That's what they did. They took a guy, 
Yeshu, they deified him. That's the height of apicosis. That is the height of Avodah Think about that. Fine, they're not the first ones to do it. Egyptians also had a trinity. There are many religions before Christianity where they did the Greeks. Uh, half the guys running around were semi-gods, Hercules and so on. It's, this is, goes on back all the way, you know? Uh, and, and so on. But think about that. How do you deify a man? That's nonsense. You see? But anyway, there's so much stuff, you know? But you have to be very careful. And I, I, I hold it's a mistake to go after going, a big mistake. Because you jeopardize your own religion. That's what you do. You're trying to help us. It's all the other way. Well, coming. No, I'm thinking about the no, coming with Anyway, that's my supporting answer. Supporting Israel. Supporting Israel. Well, that's different. A lot so of the guys. Yeah, yeah, the agenda, the second coming, and all that stuff. You know, but it doesn't make a difference. Okay, you want to, you know, uh, uh, but the only time you can ever dialogue with a guy is if he says you. You have to ask him. Do you believe in Christianity? See, and if he says absolutely not. I really want, I'm looking for another religion, you see? Uh, then, then that's a different story. It's okay, got it? They don't have to, you, have to, you don't have to live their, their nonsense. All right, a second. Anyway. No. The following one. Quick, 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 quick. Quick question. Esav does tshuva. does tshuva. Yeah. I didn't get the sense that the Arab does tshuva. They don't. Got to be overthrown. If only one-fifth of the They're Jews. Entrenched went out Good. with Moshe. Okay. If only one-fifth of the Hebrews went out with Moshe, does that have to be repeated in this redemption? No. No, because by Moshe Rabbeinu, they, they went out through schus. means they merited to go out because they suffered for 210 years. Today, it's not schus. It's be'itoi. It's the end. And when it's the end, everybody goes out. There's a big difference. You see, there's the end time. It must be, you know, and though at that time they earned the right to be redeemed. We must be redeemed because God swore, man maybe Goyal, he will bring Redeemer for his great name. And that's what Yaakov wanted to reveal to these to the to his kids. He wanted to tell them Akwasayomim. That's be to it. That's that is the end. See? Go ahead. Thanks for inspiring the show. Okay. Um some comments. Who? Yeah. I'm not saying what's bad, but there's nothing here you're coming. Yeah, I don't want to get it. Look, he's, he's got a lot of things he's got to work on, you know. He really does, you know. The parts of him that are very good, and the parts of him that are very bad. Really bad. And the, one of the worst parts about him is he joined Lapid. Because he's an opportunist. He should never have done that. Uh, if you're loyal to the, to the, it's not just the Haredim. If you're loyal to Judaism, what are you joining with a guy that hates the Jews? Or hates the Haredim, I should say, not the Jews. He hates them. Then, and because of him, Lapid was able to threaten so many different institutions of, 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 of religious Jews. So how do you join a guy? Because you want to be the prime minister? What gives you the right to be a prime minister and sell the religious Jews down the drain? You understand? What are you doing? You have no, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like they say, you know, if you can't stay in the kitchen, you can't get out. Don't cook a lousy meal because you want to be a cook. If you, if you, um, you, you want to be prime minister, fine, but not at the sacrifice of religious Jews. So how do you join Lapid? He has no idea how, well, what kind of a sin he did in that. You know, but in other ways, he is good. I mean, he, 
in, in a sense that he, he is very mindful of helping protecting the Jews. There's no question about that. In that sense, he does great stuff. But there's certain things he's done which are terrible. Anyway. That's political. That's all this. Anybody else? Sure. You got a question? Yes. What is it? If you were saying basically to hasten the coming of the Mashiach, all we have to do is sit back and keep our mouths shut, like no lesson. I didn't say that. I mean, is there something else? Wait a minute. I never said that. I didn't say all you have to do. Okay. Excuse me. You have to do observe the mitzvahs. You have to do everything. But when God says, He's saying specifically, the reason why I can take you out is if you don't talk Lashon Hara, then you do not invoke the judicial system. You have to hear my whole Shia Lashon Hara. Because it says that the reason why the Jews got out of Egypt is because they didn't talk Lashon Hara. Which means that there was no, there was no, uh, there was no prosecution. Without Lashon Hara, there's no prosecution. So what God is saying, listen, the whole reason why I can take you out is because there's no prosecutions against me taking you out. Why? Because the Sultan says, hey, they still got another 109 years to go. What are you doing? But if you talk Lashon Hara, there's a prosecution, and then I got to answer that. Bad news. Uh, you see? So the greatest way to stop the prosecutions against the Jews, don't talk Lashon Hara. But of course you have to do everything else. But in terms of the Geula, the redemption, that's very important. Because we already have enough prosecutions and enough people who hate us. Have I answered your question? Yeah, perfect. Can I touch on that, off of that? If you're talking about the Arab Rob, is that considered Lashon If I'm talking about Arab Rob? Yeah, not you in particular, but in general. Because if you're talking about the Arab Rob and stuff Well, it's not Lashon because it's toilets. Okay. You need to identify who the Arab Rob is so you're not influenced by them. Okay. No, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah I think so. Sure. If, if a guy walks over to you and he tries to sell you the Brooklyn Bridge, right? And I walk over to you and say, hey, that guy's trying to sell you the Brooklyn Bridge. Is that Lashon Hara? Thank God I'm talking Lashon Hara, or he's going to sell you the Brooklyn Bridge. You see? And that's mild form. But if the Arab Rob wants to remove your Torah, your Ruchnias, and I tell you, stay away from this guy because he's going to try to upend your religion, I'm doing you the greatest favor. It's unfortunate that I have to even say something like that. But of course, ain't there's no greater benefit. We're not talking about people who have no interest in you. We're talking about people who have a whole agenda to remove religion from this state, really. Well, they couldn't care less about all the Chil Shabbos. Listen. Yeah, that's, okay? Uh, that's so therefore, agree. <laughs> this Lashon Hara was permitted. I, yes. Um, so this is maybe sort of a, a, a big question. It's, it's sort of coming from a position of skepticism, I think. Um, is that a warning? Okay. It's, 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 yeah, I just sort of... It's a warning. Shoot. Um, Go ahead. All of the things... That, so, so this whole sort of analysis of what's going on... Yes. Um, ...is like very interesting and, 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 and compelling. It also sort of... It's, it's inherently esoteric, and you're sort of like explaining things that don't make a lot of sense on an immediate level. And my question is, it's not about- No, 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 okay, no, no. Yeah. It's not, no, no. The correct word, not that it doesn't make any sense, it's not apparent. Yes, that's what I meant, that is what I but meant. But it's a big difference in the yeah, word. Yeah, it's not like shock, that's, yeah. It's not apparent. Yeah. But it all makes sense once you understand why it, 
My question is, um, if you're analyzing events in that way, yes, um, and it's very hard for it to be apparent until it has unfolded, then well, the while truth. you're in the moment yeah. and living in democratic states and you are voting and you're sort of participating in the process, yes. how much do you think that a person should rely on this sort of like, you know, I really have to sit down and parse all of this out and I might be wrong and that has big sort of consequences versus I'm just going to look at this candidate and not think about all of this stuff and do they sound like someone I should vote for or do they sound like someone I should not vote for? Like, like how, how do you factor this into your, to your how do I daily life the, without risk? How do I factor what, what, what in? I'm not getting you. Okay. Um, I'm trying to understand. Okay. I mean, how do I factor living? What, what I'm saying is if I go, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying there's a, I'm going to be in America for the next election, right? I'm okay. going to be voting in it. Um, it is, well, so yeah. that's, a, it, if, if I go to the polls, right? And it seems very, very difficult for me personally yeah. to imagine that voting for Trump and the Republican Party yeah. is leading the world in the direction of Mashiach. That seems very, very unapparent. It seems very, very hard for me to square okay. my so. But so my question is, how should I approach that? Um, how you know? What would you say to somebody like me who says this maybe makes sense? I would sense. say this. Yeah. Right. Now forget about everything I just said. Okay. What you have to focus on is this. Right? Who is doing the best job? That's all that counts. I don't care what Trump's character is. You're right. What makes him incredible is what he's doing to America. For the first, Obama killed America, right? With all the regulations. Oh, I don't know what you hold about Obama. But anyway, uh, what he's doing is overturning. He's making a climate in America where you can be prosperous. There's no regulations or very little regulations. He's getting rid of the immigrants that come and kill everybody. This man is transforming America in, a, in an incredible way, you know? And he hasn't even started, you know? That's because he has a Congress which is lazy. Not lazy, but they're so corrupt, you see? And whatever, you know? But he's doing a great job, so vote for him. Because he's doing it, not because of who he is, what he does. The criteria that you judge a man is not who he is, but what does he do? And right now he has a year that he's proven that he's doing great stuff for America that, that no president before him has ever done. You see? You know what's to remove 40, I think somebody doing 40,000 pages of regulations? You have any idea how that obstructed business? You know? And, and to, to make energy, America energy efficient? Because uh, he's a man that sees through the bluff. That, that's his Vermeila. He could see through it. He's not a tzaddik. You know, but who needs a tzaddik for a president? I need a guy who really cares for me and wants to do the best. And he knows what the best is, because he also wants to live the best. That's all I want. I don't need a kaddish, a tzaddik, you know? I don't need a kaddish, a dorbiya, you know? That's what Jews want, because Jews have a different criteria. They want a tzaddik because they know the goal is God. His goal, although he says it, his goal is to improve, to make America great again. He says it, and guess what? He's doing it. That's all, that's the reason why I would vote to him. He's actually doing what he said he would do. And he is making America great again. You see, that there's no one, everybody, even the people who hate him, unless they want to say fake news. But if they want to be honest, they say he is, he's doing the great, they're very impressed with what he's doing. And they never thought he would do that, <clears throat> you know? But I, I, I'm not, I'm not his character. So, you know? so Mike, I think that's So like therefore vote for him because he's the best guy for you. 
But so, so I think the answer that I'm, I'm really just trying to understand is you would say this, like interpreting the events in terms <clears throat> of sort of larger consequences is like a useful exercise to understand what's going on, but Absolutely, it shouldn't yeah. be what decides Well, I, I hope it's more than useful. I hope it's machazeg You don't realize Jewish people are very uh, diminished in their belief. Terrible. Even if they believe, the fact that they see evil always, not always, but a great deal of time evil wins, it's victorious, and the good people seem to be really down and out, that produces a tremendous uh, diminution of belief. It's, it, you know, it's, a, it's called a chalisha. You see, so what my goal is, is just to raise the belief in Jews and to give them hope. That, that's all I want to do, is that God has not abandoned the Jewish people, even though you look around and you see terrible things. No, all I'm trying to show you is that underneath all the, the, the events is an incredible divine agenda that is worming its way toward an end that nobody sees. And that gives a lot of hope to people, you see? That's all I want to do. Nothing more. Thank you.